0: Okay, welcome back to part two of our little experiment with Amber Diceless. Diceless because the game system uses no dice or other random generators to determine actions and consequences. Rather, the character actions are purely determined by player description and narrative choices. And character consequences are arbitrated by the game master considering attribute ranks, power, and context. It's a fascinating system that's very different than most RPGs, and one which we fully encourage you to try. And with that, let's return to our podcast for Amber, A Family Affair, Part 2. I
1: think
0: you're talking about how it was a Chateau and Not a Chalet. Yeah, Chateau and Not a Chalet. Okay, so uh, we had some of the favorite moments that we were talking about. And uh, so we mentioned, for example, Alain, uh, after Cassandra had buzzed him and kind of saying, Damn you, Cassandra, you tried to kill me. Why does everything have to be co- competition? And Astrid and Cassandra, uh, you feel like your psyches, your minds are beginning to merge, to blend together. And Cassandra's like, Yep, I'm good with that. And Astrid's like, You are? That's freaking me out. And then she drops the contact. Duan is, as you have told me so so many times. Tell me again how my psyche is insignificant. And then lastly, um, and I I do think this is one of my favorites for sure for sure. Okay, so this is like everyone has succumbed to the Trump contract with Cassandra's you know powerful psychic uh, presence, and everyone has basically kind of jumped into the Trump connection except for Sorrel, who's the lone holdout. And then Astrid kind of says. I use my other power word, and I'm like, "Okay, what's your power word?" And it's like, "Chill out!" (laughs) And so that kind of disrupts Sorrel, and then you guys pass into the other side. So that's great. Okay, so um, as uh, Leah, you you so uh, ably um, described. Um, th- this Trump-based construct lies unmoving at your feet, pierced by numerous wounds and weapons. Parts of its chassis and its legs still sparking with energies and electris- electrical energies that have been kind of, um, you know, pushed off to the side, and you know, limbs literally that have been kind of torn off. Everywhere along the, the the chassis of this armored creatures are sort of dents from rocks that kind of struck it in various kind of positions. And uh, of course, um, also, um, whatever core, whatever energy or power continue to, to, to feed this creature, to kind of keep its presence um, alive, has been extinguished, or at least on a temporary basis. You know, you know, put under uh through the interventions of Cassandra and her psychic abilities as well. And so as you kind of come up amongst the scenes, um Alain in your arms is cradled um the body of uh of uh of Benedict, your uncle. Uh his form is starting to uh convulse in your arms you can feel the Could i do something uh sure just just hold on let me let me kind of finish the the, the, the description um and then uh the door to this trump based keep this dark lighthouse sort of swings open just as the force field of energy that was originally surrounding this Trump-based contact, construct begins to actually move away, and the envelope or this force bubble around you know, that construct as well as the tower begins to dissipate and to flow away. And with that, the door opens and swings wide. What do you guys do?
1: I put Benedict on the ground and I say my power word to him with his name. So Life Surge and Benedict.
0: Excellent. Um, And so with that, and especially the connection to um, the, uh, you know, you know the the name so by by uttering the name it gives it power it gives it a connection it gives it that kind of primal surge and your energy kind of flares forward and you you know with your intent and you can see what color is this sort of energy do you have anything that you want to describe it in terms of its, its uh you know physical effect
1: the energy well yeah. i'm focusing on benedict so right now the energy is uh orange and yellow and brown so okay. i don't know I'm focusing on orange energy
0: yeah and and that kind of speaks to his color and again you are drawing upon those things which are very much a part of his existence very very much a part of his signature if you will and you can feel that begin to kind of flow through but there is and, and with, there's that burst of healing energy and for 2 seconds he goes <gasps> and there is that um, intake rapidly of breath and with that, his kind of chest pumps upwards, his body and his back arch and surge forward, and you can feel you know life and power and energy begin to flow into his body. But as you do this, it's almost as if it kicks something and it's triggered like those um the emergency paddles, right? So you put in and you jolt it with that electrical jolt of, of of kind of energy that bursts into him and his kind of chest explodes outwards. Um, But then he starts convulsing even more. You've made a connection here, Alain, and you are, you know, using it and focusing it on the idea that, you know, this individual is Benedict and you have all your focus and your concentration there, but there's something off something different, a piece of the puzzle that you're missing, and his leg begin to actually shake violently against the other ground. His tongue lolls off to the side. You can see his eyes begin to roll back into his head, and spittle and blood begin, starts dripping off of the side of his mouth. What does everyone else do?
2: Sorrel will limp over and kneel beside them and Like, sort of give him a questioning look, like, do you have this? I
1: don't, I don't know what's going on. I didn't study medicine like this. I studied neuroscience.
0: Sorry, I was just going to say, Alain, I I mean, he's had, you know, there's every indication that, you know, he is going into some sort of like neural collapse, that the things which normally power the cortex and the rest of the body are starting to go into some form of arrest. And it is the body reacting violently, trying to stay alive under conditions of extreme duress. Now I'm going to say this, um, Uh, to, uh, sorry, to Sorrel, okay? Um, you know, you, you, you kind of limp over, but you're actually a little bit less sore than you imagine, right? So some of this is the recovery from your own, uh, you know, your own injuries and your own kind of healing factor, if you will, but it's also the fact that you were and um, in your kind of combat form, right? And so that gives a certain resilience. And although there is pain, definitely flaring from, you know, within the parts of the body that, that you were struck they are actually starting to recover quite quickly anybody else other reactions other things that you want to do
1: Um, I will touch Benedict and try and make a psychic connection and just try and psychically calm his mind and maybe feed some of my own ener- psychic energy into him
0: to stabilize okay. him so, so that's Alain um, a- anybody else um, I'm
3: going
2: to assist him with that my psychic link I'm going to okay. use a power word if no one else is going to up.
4: I was also going to use a power word, um, but you go first.
2: I'm going to use a power word, heal, on Benedict.
0: Okay. Again, it's almost like it's the second pump. Oh, sorry. Do you invoke his name? Or do you kind of, you know, uh, or are you just using the straight p- uh, power word? Now, from your experience, you know that when you attach a power word to someone's name or true name, it gives the power word even more efficacy and even more power. Is that something you want to do? Sorry. I think so. Yes. Okay, so you kind of, you know, as you do that, you, you reach out and you, you know, you emit his name, Benedict, and then you flare out the power word, another pulse, just like those emergency defibrillator things. It's another pulse. And then, um, Cassandra, you kind of make the contact, you know, you know, with your hands and, uh, you know, you are also into the mind and you can kind of feel this flare up. Now, there's something that spirals wrong. There is a connection here when you mentioned the word Benedict that it almost like creates... The wrong circuit, and it sparks, and it surges, and all of a sudden, all of that energy that was flown and directed in towards the essence of this this individual, this being, this entity in front of you, it almost seems to flare and to be not able to contain the the essence of that information. And you get this kind of feedback mechanism, um, Sorrel, that just kind of sparks into you. And like, it's like an electric jolt that goes straight into your brain. Um, Ale and Cassandra, you also feel this surge of energy kind of, you know, bolting down the synapses, the neurons, and it's kind of coming towards you like this. And you can see it, even though it's kind of in slow motion, um, you know this pulse of like psychic energy or energy that comes from another's the, the other source and it's actually flowing down the neurons towards you you can like literally see it do you wish to stay in contact while that energy surges over you or do you wish to, wish to withdraw what do you do
3: i want to try and redirect that energy
0: redirect it more
3: where it needs to go to heal him Because I assume he's not truly Benedict. Okay. Based on the reaction that it's having.
0: Okay. So what I'm going to say is this. There is a surge of power that is amplified by the fact that Sorrel linked her power word to the essence and the, the name of Benedict. Um, you could impose potentially some type of filter that actually acts to intervene to screen out that additional pulse. And maybe the energy would flow into him without it being overpowered by... That's what I do. Then okay. I so do. that's what you do. You establish it. Now, Astrid, you said that you were going to do something as well. What do you do?
4: Sure. I also have a healing word. Um, but after watching what happened with uh sorrel astrid will walk up and place her hand on seeming (laughs) seeming benedict and say uh feel better but she won't attach it to any name
0: okay and the only person who hasn't really taken action or spoken over here is tycho tycho you doing anything
5: yeah so um i kind of just uh walk over and i'm gonna stand near um sorrel and look down at this guy um I don't really have anything more to add than, than anyone else, but okay.
0: So, and I, and I need to say this: this is an 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 emergency medical situation. Your tone and the way you're. Dis- seems to be a little lackadaisical. So you're just wandering over. So, you know, you need to let me know, are you trying to intervene from an, an emergency perspective? Are you acting with haste and urgency? Or are you more just kind of, you know, st- you know staying on the periphery and not really getting involved? This is important.
5: I'm not getting involved because, yeah, I don't... I There's like a bunch of people here who are more knowledgeable in medical stuff than I am. So I'm pretty much staying out of it. I'm just more... Okay giving emotional support if I can.
0: Perfect. Okay. And so let me just kind of, you know, bring this all back together and kind of synthesize it. So you've got this pulse of energy that is containing the boost associated with Benedict's true name. Um, Cassandra, you're reaching out and and you're trying to channel that into some sort of psychic, um, you know, ability where you're actually trying to filter out that, uh, you know, energy. And then a second pulse of healing energy is starting to flow through. And that is coming from Astrid Alain. You are still connected to all of this. You can sense and you can feel this you know, stuff all going around. What is it that you do?
1: Um, I maintain my psychic connection, but I use yeah. my one power word, uh, my other power word, which is psychic defense, to avoid uh, being overwhelmed by whatever's coming at me.
0: Nice. Okay. And so, you know, all this happens in, you know, a pico second. It's so quick for it to kind of flow over, yet you um, superhuman reactions on all levels allow this thing to kind of happen. You get the one pulse, and Cassandra, you absorb and redirect that energy. It actually flows into Alain. You, you erect the barricade, power word, the deflect, and that just kind of channels and dissipates the energy off to the side. And then a second pulse of that healing energy kind of coming from Astrid. And then it seems to calm benedict down his body starts to react a little bit normally and instead of going into like a shock emergency response you think that you have it stable and he sort of relaxes the trembling and the seizures and the legs and arms and and and, and uh, limbs sort of kicking violently. That kind of subsides, and you can feel him in your arms physically. Alain, his his body seems to relax, and all the tension flows out of it. What do you do?
1: I just want to keep on channeling uh, peace into him and grounding him.
0: Okay, so you think you all have stabilized him for a second, and. Tycho, the one thing you notice, there is a large gash in his abdomen, sort of right at the nexus of his abdomen and his ribs. And there is a huge tear there that is beginning to flare black with sort of a bruise from, um, you know, a blunt force trauma. But he is bleeding there profusely and the blood is not red.
5: Is Elaine the, the doctor of the group?
1: Um, no, that's the one doctor I don't have.
5: Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point that out and say, is that normal? I mean, I'm not a medical doctor by any means, but that looks very uh, weird to me.
0: So drawn that attention in that direction, all of you are able to kind of come out of your sort of emergency mode and you're kind of looking over at this and you see flowing out, not in a very fast spurting way, but definitely it's starting to pool and to drain out of his body and things like that. It does need to be staunched or stopped or something sutured perhaps is some form of liquid. And the liquid is that bright, orange not orange but yellow color the color of yellow that you saw reflected in the sky would it turn polarities and reversed from you know normality to that strange alternate reality the color of the skin of those servants inside the chateaus as they kind of morphed from these, you know, French, Caucasian servants to some weird amalgamation of alien and Asian, Um, those colors, the vividness, all of that stuff and that contrast is flown into the wound, which is leaking that liquid, leaking that energy. And it becomes so clear now, Alain, it becomes so clear to all of you why what you had done in order to speak the true name to try and channel that additional surge did not work on whatever this thing is. The door to the Trump keep still sways open with the wind whistling in the valley. You have that eerie, the noise of the wind whistling through these nooks and crannies. You can see, you know, just your hair is, is kind of, you know, flitting about with with the, the force of that wind. And in fact, it pushes the door even further in and you can feel that creaking. And the door just kind of, you know, actually floods open. It bangs a little bit and then it kind of retracts to its open position, but it doesn't close entirely. What do you guys do?
4: Okay,
3: so shall we patch this guy up and get him in? Or
2: light? Yeah, we? Sorrels we... so say that. I think we should take him inside, but I'm not sure if it's safe in there any more than it is here. Yes, that's when here have been defeated at least.
0: Tycho and Sorl, you were previously in your combat forms. Are you still in those forms? At the moment, yes, I think. Okay.
2: I am at least.
0: Yeah. So I, I agree. mean juxtapose that whole statement you know speaking to you is this strange kind of lizard slash humanoid creature with fangs and claws and you know sharpened uh you know teeth and things like that and also on the side of Tycho, it's sort of this kind of green armored bombardier beetle um, slash rhino form and, and so i mean it's a little bit weird and it's a little bit kind of definitely unconventional but you know there's speaking to you in those forms with that reality okay so who is patching up benedict and how
1: i'm trying to help as much as as best as i can does anyone have like medical training formal i I have first aid and cpr but that's about it
0: well that should in theory be enough right and and again remember how skilled everyone is and within your extended lifetimes it's entirely possible that you would have received you know emergency medical training first aid that type of stuff even if any of you have ever you know studied medicine these are things that you could have done so basically if it does exist in your past or in your history just kind of say so and then you'll go ahead otherwise i am going to assume that you are the one who are going to apply the medical techniques
1: oh i thought about it I thought about it and I decided that I didn't actually take uh, any surgery or formal medical training. I, I have a degree in neuroscience, but that's about it. So okay. I'm
0: just and more interested in how the brain works. I mean, you have explored every angle of physical and health and even these kind of esoteric disciplines, right? Yeah. Yoga, tai chi, um, uh, shiatsu, uh, energy work, I all that kind of stuff, right? So, I mean, if you want to do something along those lines, that's also a possibility as well.
4: Absolutely, yeah. I think that uh, Astrid will walk over, and she'll try to- Yes, uh, Astrid will walk over, and to the best of her ability, try to patch up this person. Okay. Um, if she needs to do on-the-fly surgery. She doesn't have uh, tools for that right now, but she might be able to work some sorcery if they were in a different location.
0: Okay, so I guess here's the question to you, right? Are you attempting to intervene just purely on a physical, you know, biomedical capacity? Or are you bringing into it precisely what you talked about? Either some sort of psychic connection, some linkage to sorcery and kind of mystical energy? Are you doing it that way? Or is it a combination of both?
4: Yeah, say a combination of both, and Astrid will say, um, I'll attempt to stabilize him, but uh, I'm not going to be able to do it here. I I think we should move on.
0: Okay, so it sounds like you're kind of saying that you need to be in a different location, maybe something a little bit more safe and stable? Now, obviously, you are in the middle of this very windy kind of valley, if you will, just the outside of the tower. You can see, you know, the, the body of or, or the, 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 the chassis of this, uh, this construct on the outside, and the wind is just kind of blowing by. In fact, the wind is beginning to pick up as well. There could be definitely shelter inside the tower if you want.
3: Yeah, so let's stabilize him as best we can and get into the tower.
0: Okay. Sure, I'll help. All right.
3: Yeah, Tycho, Tycho, if you guys want to go ahead while they stabilize, make sure it's safe. If there's not patching up, we can go to the tower.
0: Okay. So together, and and you are very effective at what you do. Like even though you guys don't have necessarily formal training in this, you are skilled to levels which are essentially superhuman. You are able to kind of coordinate your activity, and you know you kind of almost intuitively understand how to you know lift him, how to move him, how to um, you know act as a group in order to kind of move with the least amount of kind of interference and damage as you kind of move from the outside and you move into the darkness of the tower itself. And with that, we're going to switch scenes. Sigrund, the cold, brisk, and bright winds, and the whistling bits of frost that flow into this fjord in Vanaheim. clutched in your hand is your blade. Along its length, the various runes of power that you have inscribed and summoned and engraven into its enchanted form flare with the energies that come and flow so easily to you in this place. And as you stand at the top of this majestic view, you can see the snow-capped mountains, the half frozen river that plunges thousands of meters down below, and you stand on an icy shelf at the edge of a glorious panorama and as it, the scene sort of circles around you you hear the caw of a raven and a second one echoing throughout this incredible scene and across from you is the sword mother just as you are shield maiden, sword maiden, guardian of the peoples, a Valkyrie, of the noblest power and the greatest courage, she is more than all of that put together. She is your mentor, she is your trainer, she is your patron, if you will. And even as you take in that sight and refocus on where you are, feeling the eldritch energies flow down the runes of your blade. She lets out a warrior's battle cry and charges quickly towards you. So fast, so strong, and she's coming at you with an attack and clearly the intent. And she is moving to do you harm. What do you do?
6: her sword and with her free hand she motions straight up and then her fingers off to the downward to the right to inscribe in the air the rune answers and uh, it's a, a reveal it's a warfare burst to reveal an opponent's weakness
0: okay and with that that kind of flares and i mean the connection among your blade as hers comes into connection with yours you can see and you can feel and you know for sure that this is nothing but a feint and in fact she whirls to the other side a lightning fast move which you then continue to parry and your swords exchange with sparks and clangs and you know you exchange your your footwork you you know slip onto the side you slide off to you know the ice and it's your Both matching each other, um, you know, in skill, in intensity, and in reflection. And she says, good, good, Sigrun. And she says, I hear you have been listening to the stories at the war camps. And she slashes at your head again as you kind of deflect it away, looking to the northern lights. What things have you heard? What things have you discovered? And she then plunges the blade towards your midsection. It's quick, but you're able to kind of deflect it aside. And you know that this is essentially a drill. She is not there to actually harm you. And although she is pushing you to your logical limits, you also do the same to her. It is almost more of a dance of practice, of warfare, and of combat exchange but at the same time, you can have a conversation. What do you do?
6: Yeah, I uh, I, I bring up my my hand uh, and I uh, bring up three fingers and I point them to the sky and I, I call out algies uh, and create a physical shield around myself and I and I answer her and, and say I've heard many strange tales of of worlds far from here and nothing like what we have and yet still somewhat the same
0: and she laughs and even as the shield comes up you can tell that she was sort of anticipating that move her blade cleaves down on it and shears off to the side creating this spark of energy and she whirls around with a naked fist which plunges into the shield itself and she rips it aside and flings it over to the, you know the other end and then you're you continue to kind of dance and she laughs out loud and you can feel the exultation in her voice. And she says, yes, the Bifrost, the Jotunheim, you know, all of these places that we have heard and we have continued to battle for, but none so much more than Asgard. But as she says, Asgard, there is something that you hear which is different. In the voice that she kind of, you know, is shouting out into the icy, wintry winds of this kind of area and this moment... You don't hear Asgard, even though that is what she said. You hear it, and this rings like a shot through your entire being, your spirit, and everything that is you, and you hear the word amber. And that word resonates with power beyond your imagining and almost feels, fills you with this sense of purpose, and power, and focus. And you can see that she sees the effect. As her blade swings towards yours, you parry, you move back and forth. Now, something strange is kind of happening. Do you... You can feel it. It's like the earth around you is beginning to tremble and it's beginning to shift. And you see, off in your peripheral of your peripheral vision, this sort of spark of light and this shooting star actually bursts through the sky. But. If you want to kind of pay attention to what's going on, you risk losing concentration on what's happening in front of you, and she is pressing your defenses very hard. What do you want to do?
6: I want to pay attention to what's going on.
0: Going on around you or going around on what what she is trying to do, which is to penetrate your defenses?
6: Uh, I want to pay attention to what's happening around us. I I don't want her to hit me, obviously. I'll use my power word word geese again, and uh, and then turn towards what uh, what else is happening, so that I can get a a, a a glimpse of that.
0: Okay, the shield flares again, and she kind of chuckles and kind of laughs, and basically, you know, spears the shield, tries to hack it away, but it does provide that uh, you know temporary res- respite, and you actually you know continue to move around. Now, out of the corner of your eye, and actually coming more into focus, you realize that. There is something really strange happening within this valley, this fjord that you're in. And in fact, you can see the night sky blaze with the northern lights, but it's not the normal kind of ghostly green kind of energies that flow up like a curtain. It's actually rainbow colored. And you can see this extension of almost like a rainbow bridge itself, soar high into the sky, past the clouds, penetrating across this area. And then you realize as you look over the side of the chasm, it's not a river that is flowing into like a waterfall or some sort of frozen, you know, you know, water bank or something. You're actually looking into the abyss a sea of stars that you gaze into. And in that moment of sort of almost shock, you barely manage to kind of fend off her second and her third and her fourth attack. And she's pushing you closer and closer to the edge. What do you do?
6: I call out, uh, "Sword Mother. The, the the Bifrost Bridge, do you not see it?
0: She does not stop her attack. And in fact, you barely manage to parry this last one because she's giving you no no quarter. As you try to have this conversation, she's having none of it. And you are now just millimeters from being able to, in, in fact, get cut. You have to repurpose. You have to reposition. Otherwise, she has the edge and the advantage and she's pushing you towards the edge. And then with that, you again sense things shift, and you see these branches of this incredibly large tree that seems to go in all directions, in all senses, through time and space, penetrating the stars itself. And you realize you're not just in a fjord, you're at the base of the mythical construct of Yggdrasil, Drill, the World Tree. And somehow you are in a place that you do not recognize, except for through stories and myth. Her blade swings towards yours. It is cutting through with power and intent and purpose. What do you do?
6: All out Sin Eranger, my uh, bind rune, uh, for a boost of luck.
0: Okay. So you're blades binding together and you know you are now kind of almost shifting into this contest of strength and she's grinning at you with this kind of fierce almost competitive and it's almost like a wolf's kind of growl and a kind of grin and she says well done daughter and then she puts her hand up basically calling for a halt to your activity and she steps back and you can see that she is asking you for Uh, For time. And she puts her hand to her temple and almost seems to be concentrating very hard. Do you give her the, the space to breathe and to stop? I do. She steps away and you just look around the incredible scene and you are nowhere where you recognize, except for it seems to be scenes right out of your own mythology. And you can see her then, a flash in her hand, a small uh, card-sized object kind of leaps into her hand, and she holds her temple. You can see her concentrating immensely. And she says, she is to come to you. What what do you mean you're not yourself? Fine, brother, I owe you at least this much. And she drops the card and seems to put it away. You're not even sure where it comes from. And she strides for you, t- towards you. Her sword is lowered, but it is on alert. And that very act, it kind of warns you to kind of stay alert. You know, um, you know, continue to keep that energy of your warrior's defense there. And she says, what do you know of Asgard? But as she says, Asgard, you hear Amber. And again, that jolt, through the very core of your being.
6: I know nothing of Amber.
0: Then why do you feel it? I can see it. You hear that it is the truth. All roads lead to Asgard slash Amber that echoes powerfully through your soul.
6: Why have Um, I never been there before? I feel it. I feel drawn to it, every road. How is it that I am not there?
0: It is in your blood. And she uses the term daughter. You think that it means, you know, sword maiden or, you know, trainee of the sword mother. But also, on a certain level, it has a resonance of family. How skilled do you believe that you are? Are you the greatest warrior ever to walk these places in Vanaheim, of Jotunheim, of Niltheim? Do you stride amongst the best, Valkyrie?
6: Clearly I do. There is only one that that, that can exceed me, and that is yourself.
0: Do you think you can stop me if I truly wanted to? Let me tell you, daughter, again, she uses that term, how you get to Asgard slash Amber. And lightning fast, faster than you've ever seen before, You are almost not able to react. Your sword comes up in a slightly defensive position. Hers twists under yours, rolls around, and slashes through your armor into your chainmail and painfully into your forearm, drawing a spurt of blood. This has never happened before. No one has ever penetrated your defense, yet she did it as if it were child's play. And she steps away. It isn't a deep cut. But blood flows and drips, drips, drips into the snow. And she says, always remember this moment. For nothing, especially in amber, is as it seems. Go to him and meet your word. Claim what is in your blood. Claim what is yours by blood. I don't understand. She hands you a card. Concentrate on this and you will go to him. Trust me, daughter. I do. Then your destiny awaits. What do you do with the card?
6: I look at it.
0: It grows warm in your hand. It appears to be the entrance way to a shadowy room that is glowing with flickering torchlight. A slight stone stairs leads up from shadow into another room. And as you concentrate As you look upon it, the card begins to warm in your hand and you can almost feel a connection with this place. And in fact, what was painted into the cards, this luminescence of the light, they actually begin to flicker almost as if you were there. And you can feel for a second a connection between this place and that place and the walls between reality begin to thin. And you know that if you wanted to and you exerted your will, you could step through to the other side. I exert my will. And you pass from one place, your wintry home, a place of myth now transformed by magic or sorcery, into another place. The rest of you, you enter into this cavern and you pull away and you have Benedict or whatever this creature is in your hands. And you are in the foyer of this kind of torch lit chamber. And all of a sudden, Cassandra and Alain, you feel a gathering of some form of psychic or magical or power energy those of you who have a high warfare skill including Astrid and Cassandra and even Sorrel to a certain degree you also sense the gathering of some form of energy or portal which is just about and it's starting to open it starts out as a bright light which then becomes a star and begins to flash open what do you do
1: I ready myself how um, do I have ready? my sword cane? Um, do I have my sword cane? I have my sword cane drawn. Okay, you grab right it.
0: Out. The sword kind kind of comes out. Cassandra, what about?
3: Uh, I'm gonna get my mind ready to, to attack. If ever.
0: okay, so you hold yourself in a kind of defensive position on the psychic yeah. plane. Um, the twins. What do you do?
2: I think I, I was crouched there, so I stand up more.
0: Okay.
5: Same. <laughs> I to say the exact same thing. Okay. Um, I'm going to, like, kind of power to my full height, which is much bigger in in my transformed form.
0: Okay. And, you know, you kind of, you know, th- that, that energy kind of search for it. And I'm, I will say this, Sorrel, you are the foremost there. So whatever opening is actually taking place, if something comes out and it is nasty and it is dangerous, you are going to be the first in its path. And with that... <laughs> this kind of flash of light almost creating a size of a doorway or a card that just kind of rips into the fabric of reality and outsteps. Could you describe yourself, Sigrend?
6: Sigrun? Uh, Sigrun. Sigrun is a tall Viking woman. She's one. She is a Valkyrie out of legend. She comes from the alternate shadow world of Anaheim. And she is... Uh, she is, she is a daunting warrior. She is uh, she's wearing the accoutrements of a general in her land. Silver chainmail with a white wolfskin cape at her shoulders, held in place with twin wolf brooches. She is a fierce sight with long pure black hair, steel grey eyes, and the faint silver lines of the rune Degas on her left cheek and Sol willow on her right
0: cheek. So as this towering, powerful Valkyrie warrior, this Viking uh, warrior um, goddess kind of steps forward, on your side, Sigrun, poised in front of you in a position of attack and menace, is a large reptilian snake-like creature with sort of golden skin that ripples with an armored effect in every direction, a long prehensile tail that whips back and forth with menace and power, scales and fangs, and kind of glowing green eyes that kind of flip back and forth. And right behind her, a gigantic monstrosity, this beast made out of you know carapace and shells uh tycho can you describe your combat form a little bit more for uh for um for sigrand
5: sure so in my combat form i am kind of like a cross between um a beetle and and uh a rhino so i've kind of got um a carapace that's fairly like uh, metallic green and a huge, like, um, yeah, so I have a big horn. Big horn. <laughs> <laughs> to sum up, I, I, I had, had a lot of flowery horn. <laughs> objectives. What
0: color is your horn? I, I had
5: a lot of flowery objectives, but now I'm just going to say I have a big, big golden horn. horn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so that's the scene that is kind of created. There is a certain tension there, so I'll let you guys kind of play this out. What do you guys do?
1: I, I say... Oh, a transdimensional Viking. Why not?
6: <laughs> Sigrun immediately looks at you and says, "Who are you? Are you are you him? Who's he? I don't know. I'm hoping it's you because if it's not, you might be dead.
1: Uh Yes, I'm him. I'm exactly him. <laughs>
0: Okay, and then, you know, um, the other thing that, okay, so Alain, if you could kind of describe yourself, what you look at, uh, you know, like right now, uh, maybe what your colors, and the same thing for Cassandra and Astrid. Also, let me know what you're doing in relation to this scene.
1: I'm a five foot, about five foot ten, kind of thin uh, man in a kind of uh, blue and white pinstripe suit, three-piece suit, uh, with uh, like a, a, I'll just say a goatee. Um uh, short hair. It looks I'm very zilder. strange to
0: have this three-piece suit in what is essentially a medieval keep surrounded by this Viking warrior woman. But anyways, that is what he looks like. Cassandra, what about you?
3: Okay, so I'm a petite woman. So about five foot two. I'm wearing a blue and sil- a royal blue and silver gown. Red hair, green. Um. I am just kind of defend.
0: Okay. Astrid. Feel tendrils of. You were saying that you wanted to do something in order to connect with her. Can you just kind of describe yeah, I'm gonna
3: that just to me? Try, try and just like reach out psychically to see if I can figure out who.
0: Okay. So again, psychic contact needs to yes, be. but
3: I have the link. So I'm going to use the power word link.
0: So you're using a power word against her. Okay. Yes. You sense Sigrun. That this petite um, sorceress, you can feel the gathering of energy from her mind directed towards you. And something flashes. It moves towards you. What do you do?
6: Uh, I, cast, I use my power word, Thurisaz.
0: And what does that do? The sorceress disrupts. Sorceress disrupt. Okay. And so I'm just going to check something here. Okay. You manage to kind of deflect or at least blunt the tendrils of this kind of psychic uh, link. And you can feel this, you know, mystical energy lash out towards you. And you manage, you know, the, the, the power word flashes through the air and manages to cut through all but one tendril. But then one tendril, you know, whips around and basically lashes on. It's not enough to kind of sever it, but it's just beginning to make that contact with you. And you can feel a. Powerful mind behind it with you know almost an in- unstoppable force, if you do not get rid of this psychic invasion, this this attempt to attach onto you, it is going to take over your mind. It's that strong. What do you do?
6: I lunge forward um, and and I call up anzus with my sword, and I point it right at her like i I'm, I'm about to come down with a blow.
0: Okay, now there's others in the way. You uh, guys, the rest of you, you can see her. You know, spring into action. Her movements, her abilities, are all geared at you know from a warrior's perspective. And she moves quicker than all of you have you know have have seen before. Even those of you who have this kind of you know strength in this training, um, she just kind of leaps forward, and all of a sudden, the sword is at Cassandra's. Um, side but you surround her on all sides so you know the sword is basically starting to point you know and it's almost like there's a psychic tendril that's made contact with sigrin and the sword has also made contact with um with cassandra and it's almost like whoever goes next they're going to basically connect with each other so that's the situation that's happening now what did the rest of you do
1: i say how about we don't do this
0: Okay, that's fine. I put my hands up
1: um
4: Astrid has been kind of hunched over the whatever <laughs> benedict yep. uh benedict. doppelganger uh-huh and um so she's watching and she stands up and noticing the tension. She'll use one of her power words. Can it be directed at two people? She's gonna say, chill out.
0: You can try, but it again it might dissipate uh it might be it might have the effect of of you know. Trying to focus on two things, it actually will weaken it. Even though it attacks both, it will do it at a lesser uh, level. So it's really up to you. Do you want to split it? You're going to do it on both of them?
4: I think that I would do it on the newcomer.
0: On the newcomer. Okay, that's great. Um, Tycho and um, Sorrel, what do you guys do? I think Sorrel is going to
2: lose herself to be able to grab... Sigrin, if okay. she does anything more dangerous than just point
0: a sword at Cassandra, I don't think she's actually going to stop her, though. Okay, Are you interposing yourself physically between the two, or are you staying off to the side?
2: I'm staying off to the side, more in Sigrin's personal space,
0: but not okay. actually understand. Tycho. them.
5: So she's put a sword pretty much at Cassandra's throat, right?
0: Pretty much, yeah. It's like Mexican standoff psychic tendril versus sword to throat.
5: I am picking her up.
0: <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> so this, this is basically what happens. Astrid, your power word kind of goes off. Sigrin, for a brief second. Oh, I need to check this. Astrid, what is your? psyche. Do you well, need
4: my psyche number? Yeah.
0: No, 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 no. I, I I've got it. Okay. So then um, yeah. Um, For a second, maybe Sigrin, you're just kind of tired and, and you kind of came to that portal. You're a little disoriented and all of a sudden like your blade just kind of relaxes just so, and you kind of lose that immediate connection against, you know, the throat of, the, of this and you actually sink back and you feel faint for just a second. And in that moment, um, Cassandra, you can potentially act and Tycho, you now grab her tightly.
3: Okay. I'm going to tell her to drop her sword through my psyche.
0: Okay. So, and, and then, um, uh, Tycho, you're going to continue your, to, to pick her up. Yep. Okay. Um all of a sudden you find yourself uh Sigrin, kind of born by this kind of rhino beetle away, and he physically separates you, his large body and, and strength actually kind of boring into you, and you're lifted to the side, and your sword loses contact with Cassandra, and then Cassandra, you now um, have kind of a tendril attached into her, and you can actually kind of, in, sorry, what did you want to say? You said drop the sword? Dropping Is that what you wanted to do? Okay, yeah, so all of a sudden, Sigrid, you feel a powerful compulsion start to come over you. And it's like a wave of, um, you know, the sea coming crashing down upon you as if you stand upon, you know, just, you know, the beach. And, you know, you've been in storms before. You might be able to withstand one, maybe two pulses, but eventually you're going to be, wa- you know, washed away. And, you know, the wave is coming straight for forward and you can feel it coming. It's going to hit you in just half a second. What do you do?
6: Thin anger.
0: The boost of luck. The, boost uh, of they, luck.
6: They,
4: okay. They and
6: so willow runes on her cheeks start to glow and emit a silver
0: light like a firefly and then flare out. Okay. So there is a flare of energy. And um, you manage somehow to just deflect the edge of that psychic um, tendril, and so Cassandra, just for a brief moment, you aren't able to connect. Like you still have the the contact psychically, but whatever happened, that flare of energy, that flare of light, it managed to kind of repulse your 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 concentration, so that you aren't able to actually penetrate further. And your compulsion, at least in this moment, doesn't have any effect. And Tycho, you now have her fully in your arms. What do you do?
5: I say. Hey, why don't we all just calm down? You heard the
0: lady. Chill out. Okay. So that's the scene. Alain, do you want to do anything other than just uh, what you have done, which is to talk? Astrid, any oh. other actions from you?
1: No, I'm fine. I just step back. Um,
4: Same. Oh. Uh, seems under control. Uh, but how is the doppelganger doing? Because I'm still trying to work on him.
0: He is stable for the moment. You've managed to staunch the blood and he is no longer kind of convulsing, but you can feel that his body is starting to grow a little bit cold, a little bit pale. Okay. So importantly, Sigrun and importantly, Cassandra. Cassandra, you can force this. You have the beginning of the contact, but you're kind of at this weird Mexican standoff moment. If you want to, you can force into her mind because you have that contact. Um, And then there's also Sigrin, what you want to do. You are being held very powerfully in the arms and the fists of this beast. In fact, you're lifted off of the ground so you no longer have full control of your leverage and your power. So it's really up to you what you want to do at this moment. And I will say that Sorrel, do you have your blade out, Sorrel? Or are you just kind of you know with your combat form?
2: I still have it i think
0: okay is it pointed offensively
2: uh it is now the Tycho's has got her
0: okay so then yeah and i mean i will say this um you know sigrin you are a powerful warrior but you're surrounded by people who seem to have your level of ability and although maybe you can fend one of them off maybe two for a couple of moments you're not going to be able to f- fend off the whole group
6: yeah, I just uh, I just glare at uh, Cassandra. Cassandra, uh-huh. uh, and I say, "Get out of my head,
0: Cassandra." What do you do? Who you are,
3: and then I will tell us who you are and why you are here.
0: She's not penetrating into your mind, but the threat of that being able to instantly penetrate your defenses is there. But she is speaking to you directly.
6: That's correct. I am Sigrun Odin's daughter. I am known far and wide. I, I do not know where I am. This is very strange. I was just sent here. How did you get here? Swordmother sent me.
4: Could, um, could Astrid interrupt for a moment?
0: You certainly can.
4: So while they're talking, Astrid will um, say, I think we're losing him nice and she'll look back at the body on the floor
0: can i
1: apply pressure to the wound to staunch the bleeding
0: you certainly can
1: okay i'll start doing that
5: does sigrin seem to be chilling out and not um, immediately jumping to the attack
0: that's all up to sigrin i would say
6: sigrin is just uh she just wants this uh, invading force out of her head like she's like Um, she feels invaded by it like it's just it's it's uh, it's it's vile it's um, like she's not she can't relax because there's there's a foreign presence in her head that's threatening to take her soul from
0: her. Yeah. And in fact, I'm going to say this. I did kind of um, forget that uh, that tendril psychic energy was actually powered by a power word. So it is very instantaneous and quick. You no longer have that direct connection, Cassandra, that has been dropped. And so the the immediate threat of that attachment to your psyche is gone, Sigrid.
6: Oh, Okay. Uh, then, then, yes, uh, Sigrun is just uh, uh, upset, but she's no longer uh, got the same intensity.
0: Okay. Alain, all around you, especially in the area where Sigrun just stepped out of, is the resonant echoes of Trump energy that has just flared out of the room.
5: Sorry, okay. I'm just going to gently put Sigrun
0: down. Okay. So I think things calm a little bit. You okay, little lady?
6: I am fine. Just stay out of my head.
1: I hate to interrupt this potential homicide, but this fellow's going to die soon, and uh, he probably knows um, something about what's going on here. Uh, could we just uh, maybe set this aside for a few minutes and tend to him? I, I, you're perfectly welcome to kill each other after.
4: I've done almost all I could for him, and, and this is... I'm, he's still fading. Astrid,
0: you feel his breath start to actually um, exhale slightly, and a slight whisper escapes from his lips.
4: What does he say?
0: You lean in closely, and he says in a strained whisper, bring me to him. Bring me to Corwin.
4: Is that a name I would recognize?
0: You do not.
4: He he says we must bring him to Corwin. Do any Do of you any know of who that know is? Corwin? Do any of us know who Corwin
0: is? Um, Alain, you know who Corwin is. You have seen his presence painted in the greater arcana of the trump decks that you have studied with your aunt Florimel. He is as much as anyone is within the greater karma, a prince of amber or a lord of amber, one of those who commands the greatest of power, the greatest of respect within the universe. You don't know much beyond that. And the fact that he is on the greater arcana of the Trump deck is so significant in of itself, but that's all you really know. Okay, well, I'd
1: say, well, Corrin, of course. I mean, I have him on speed dial, but I don't think we have a good connection out here. So <laughs> um, I search the fellow. Does the fellow have anything on him? The Benedict or whatever this, this guy is?
0: He has daggers. He has weapons. There are concealed blades. But no trump cards.
1: Still alive?
0: Still alive.
6: So Sigrun will, will come over and she'll say, oh, you fools. Do none of you know how to properly bind a wound? And she'll set about doing a proper field dressing, as she would have done many times uh, in her in her homeland.
0: You guys let her. Sure. Yeah,
4: Astrid will definitely step out of the way because she's not as good with the blood and guts as she is with the muscles.
1: Okay. While she does that, I'll inspect our surroundings inside this tower and see if there's any further clues to finding Corbin or wherever the heck we are.
0: Well. Um, so you're inside, and I mean, all of this happened in in a manner of seconds, right? And so you're in essentially the base of a keep or a you know a tower. And it's like a, a you know a medieval stone floor. There is very dim lighting from flickering torchlights that are held in different brackets that kind of lead up both you know in this kind of bottom area. And you can see the light uh, from the open door just kind of shining from within. And in fact, that light is beginning to to darken and to turn to twilight. And so whatever ambient light is coming from the outside is starting to fade. And so with that, you can see that there are brackets of torches that lead up. And the area where Sigrun appeared was sort of maybe a quarter of uh, a flight of stairs up. And those stairs kind of turn around just like you would in any tower, sort of form a circular pattern that leads up into darkness. At this point, you'd have to go in that direction to actually see what that is now. Uh, Sigrin, you do manage to kind of bind his wounds, but you there's some weird stuff going on. It's almost like his organs are not quite in the places that they should be. And so your ministrations are not quite as effective as they normally would be just because of some weird shifts in anatomy. And the, even the blood, it is not red, it is not crimson, it is kind of yellow. But you've managed to kind of further stabilize. So between Astrid and yourself, you think that you managed to have him stable to a point that he's no longer continuing to deteriorate. Is what he do you conscious? guys? Um, his eyes are kind of flickering in and out. You can hear his mouth sort of kind of move. But it's not really saying anything intelligible. The only thing that you could hear, that was what Astrid, you heard. Bring me, bring me to him, bring me to Corwin. Okay, so
3: I want to touch his head and try look inside of his mind. See if I can figure out where he thinks he is.
0: Okay, your mind easily, uh, you know, infiltrates, especially since you have already had that psychic connection with him when he tried to block you through the Trump. It's easy enough for you to almost predict his uh, defenses and just kind of move and carve around them. And you easily separate the brick wall that he's trying to form with his mind. And you basically reach into that and you can see and he is so weak, he can't even resist. But you feel that somewhere in this building, presumably upwards, is the presence or the entity of the individual he is referring to.
3: Okay, so I just say Corwin's in.
1: Okay. Up, I say, up. well, we Madame de Voyons, voyons. And I, uh, I motion towards the stairs. Who wants to go first?
3: Not I. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Where, where I is I mean me. I go and Cassandra.
4: Astrid will pick up Benedict and she'll carry
0: him up. Good for you. Okay. Anybody
1: else? Michael, in- you're looking rather demonic. Why don't you go first? I mean, you seem to have a, a good you way guys hear this? or. Hello?
0: Yep, yep. Can, you. Okay. can hear you? Okay.
1: Yeah, so I I yeah, I'm I
5: volunteer to go. I can okay. go for first.
0: Are you staying in your combat form? Yes. Okay. you kind of stamp upstairs. Uh, Sorrel, what are you doing? Are you following your brother? I'm going to follow my brother, and I'm going to
2: return to my normal form.
0: Okay. Blade out or put away? Put away. Okay. So um, the the twins basically start to climb the step, and obviously Tycho is in his his very intimidating combat form. Uh, The rest of you kind of have uh, Benedict in hand. And uh, you're able to kind of go up the steps. Okay, so you go around two revolutions of this tower. It doesn't take a lot for you to kind of go up. Around every edge, around every curve, there are torches. And in fact, at the top, um, there is sort of a, a staging area where the torches actually shine brighter. And there is a little bit of a candelabra that hangs from above and some oil lanterns that kind of shine into the inside. There is an open... Archway slash doorway, ent- uh, you know, entranceway. That's sort of at the top of that landing, and it leads within. Okay, Tycho, do you just kind of continue into the room, or any preparations you want to do before you go in?
5: I think I will like walk in because I have the lowest warfare, right? <laughs>
0: uh, not yet. Uh, Alain is lowest.
5: Okay, but I mean, I'm still like, ah, uh, you know. I'm sure uh, there's nothing, there can't be a trap here at all, right?
0: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) gotcha. Well, but but remember, you are greater than Amber rank. And even Alain, you know, uh, even at his low level, he's still Amber rank. Right? That's, Which fair. Means That's fair. Normally, I mean, you would be able to detect kind of, you know, normal traps and things like that. So, you know, you're okay. not. That, so, yeah. It's just relative to others that you are not as skilled, but relative to just about anybody else in the universe, you're a god.
5: Okay. Fair enough. So, um, okay. I keep, I maybe look around and make sure that there's nothing untoward um, around the, the door before
1: going through it.
0: Inside the room. <laughs> Sorry. Concurrent to that, can
1: I? Is it possible for me to extend my psyche and just try and be extra sensitive to any psychic manifestations inside or anything?
0: Okay. On so matter? similarly to what Cassandra was doing, you can't actually just you know plumb the ether with your psyche and expect to have some result you have to attach it to some to something so for example you could use a power word to kind of connect you know very temporarily with something else or you could connect physically with something and make the psychic connection or potentially you could use another power like sorcery to do that but obviously sorcery is slow right so if you yeah. wanted to take the time to cast that spell and then extend your psyche along the construct of the spell yes you could do that
1: No that's all right I'll okay. be fine then
0: all right so I, I will describe this and let's say that the, the two who see this immediately are Sorrel and Tycho the twins in the center of the room seems to be uh, the form of a slight man whose body is sort of hunched over. There are dim lights in this area kind of flickering. And you can see that he is seated upon a chair. And surrounding the chair are strange arcane sigils, runes, and patterns. Um, Alain, you do sense very powerfully here the presence of Trump energy. And you can see actually binding his hands together and binding his feet are almost these barely perceptible golden chains of energy, which seem to basically wrap around his ankles to wrap around his, his wrists. And then they flow into essentially nothingness. And it's like they disappear into thin air. Um, he is kind of seated, his head sort of slumped. Um, he almost looks like he's sleeping. Um, and his breath seems deep as he is seated in this wooden throne is not an in, inaccurate word. It's just not very um, well constructed, shall we say.
1: And I, I haven't ever seen this person before.
0: Well, okay. So, so that, that, is, that is what uh, the twins see. Um, but if, if you guys want to move into the room, you can see this as well.
5: I say, hello there. How are you today?
0: Okay. Um, the one thing that you do notice, both of you, in fact, is that his colors are black and silver. His accoutrement is actually tattered and threadbare and worn. Yet... There are parts of how he carries himself that still have the sense of dignity and the threads themselves were once very fancy and of high quality, but it seems like he may have in this state been wearing them for so long that just the sheer act of wearing them has kind of reduced their quality. His head
5: all of sudden, Does it make it hard for me to walk through the door um, in my current form?
0: Nope. Nope. I mean, you know, it, it's a little bit narrow, but yeah, you could definitely go in. There's nothing blocking you.
5: Okay. So I head in, um, but I'll let you continue after that. Okay.
0: And as you kind of, his head kind of perks up and all of a sudden his body snaps to attention, his eyes, and you look at him, you can see that his eyes are kind of, you know, they look like a blind person's eye. You can see, though, in the center of his forehead, sort of embedded within, is an emerald green gem that is flaring with energy. And there's a flow almost of light that goes from the center of that gem embedded in his forehead into his eyes. And he his full attention now snaps towards you guys, you know, at, at the beginning of the room. And you can see that all of his focus is now upon you. Who's there, he says. His voice is crackled, is weary, but still behind it, there is a sense of nobility and power. I am Tycho. Okay, he's... do you guys all go in now?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm going in.
0: Yeah, going in. Yeah, can I And ask, this is my
1: uh, sister, Sorrel.
0: Okay, so you introduce your sister. Astrid, sorry, what were you going to say?
4: I'd like to ask the figure or ask uh, Tycho to ask, is it Corwin?
0: Is it Corwin? He straightens up and he says, so you have found me. Even despite this prison, even despite all of their efforts to hide the truth, you have found me.
4: So I want to, um, kind of elbow my way past Tycho and uh, Cassandra and I'll lay the Benedict doppelganger um, on the ground and said, Uncle Benedict, well, uh, this thing who looks like Uncle Benedict needs to speak with you.
0: And he reaches forward and then you realize that his hands are bound by those golden chains of energy. And from his current position, unless you bring Benedict closer to him, he's not going to be able to reach them.
4: Yeah. I think that I would bring him as close as I need to be because he wanted to speak with, uh, okay. With Corwin, unless someone stops me.
0: Anyone doing anything different?
3: What no, this are these is interesting. chains made of? It. Are these like physical chains or are they like?
0: No, they're not physical chains. They're chains of some form of energy. You can would have I... to get closer and touch can them. I get to... close and touch them? What type of
1: energy they are and see if I can.
0: Okay. And then, sorry, Alea, you were starting to say something?
1: No, this is interesting. I'm just observing.
0: Okay. So Cassandra, you also approach the area as well. And as you kind of step forward, you can feel Corwin starting to shift as if he senses your footsteps coming forward. And he actually starts to brace and tense a little bit. What do you do? Yes.
3: I don't, I'm, I just say, I'm trying to check the chains out.
0: He relaxes slightly, but only so much. Then he reaches his hands out, Astrid, as you kind of bring Benedict's body closer. And then Benedict almost seems to force his body upwards, closer to Carwin, And you feel that his whole body is beginning to shake with the effort of what he is doing. And then coming out of his mouth is another sound, which is not what you heard from Benedict. It's another voice that comes through loud and clear, strident and resonant. And it says, there, we are even now, brother. I hope you will fare well. And with that, Benedict begins to dissolve. His skin begins to start melting. That wound that was bound starts to actually leak and pulse. Astrid, what do you do?
4: I'm going to yell out my uh, power word, beast mode, which was endurance focus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. To see if it will do anything to help hold this figure together.
0: It plunges into him. Cassandra, you f- feel the flare of the energy. You've now made contact with these chains. What do you okay. want to do?
3: Well, I want to see if I can, like, what's causing them and how, if I can somehow break
0: on. Okay you do not think you understand what powers these chains. You do know that with the power of your mind alone, it's like you trying to break a metal chain, right? Like you, Karen, trying to break a metal chain. Like it's, it's that impossible, right? So the power and even the sophistication of your mind is not enough to undo the primal energy that courses through the construct of these chains. They bind him inexorably to this place, and you're not sure how. Alain, this is Trump energy for sure. Okay, the pulse of energy from the power word Astrid flows into him, and for a second he holds it together, and then it melts away and almost seems to dissolve into this yellow puddle of goo in front, in front of Corwin. All right, that's the scene. What the rest of you do
6: so Sigrin was following behind she's um just kind of trailing these uh strange people that she's just met uh, yeah. and she hears what's happening up uh, up ahead, and she comes into the room and she sees Corwin she sees all these things happening, and then she sees like this this lapse and she she comes forward and she goes up to Corwin and she says, "It's you, isn't it? I was sent to come to you
0: and he actually moves to stand, and and if you stop him? Nope. His hands are kind of covered in the remains of Benedict, but his hands reach forward. They're not strained by those energy bonds, and you feel that his eyes, even though that they are looking off unfocused in another direction because he seems to be effectively blind, he reaches his hand to touch your face, Sigrun. Do you allow him to do so? I do. There is a strange reaction between tension and relaxation as his voice sighs, almost seeming to echo of longing and regret. And his hands actually more furtively go across your face, brush into your hair, and actually start to move down your body. Do you let him continue to touch you? I do. Your blade. What is its name again? Beautiful yeah Peter. That's That's what she told me. And he almost, his shoulders seem to actually shake for a second, almost as if he's bowed down by... A weight that is on his shoulders and on his sword. And he actually backs up and he bows to you with a warrior's respect, but something more than a warrior's will. I I did not think she would send you, but I am glad. Thank you. And who are the others with you?
6: I I don't know them. Um, that one attacked me as soon as I arrived. Which one? And I the one touching the chains? Uh, yeah. I point at Cassandra.
0: Cassandra, you can feel his focus and his energy bearing into yours. Even though he is blind, you know that he's looking directly at you. You can feel that concentration and that focus flow through the chains and his body, and he is kind of gazing at you. I... Get
3: into my mind?
0: No, he's not trying no. to do it that way. Okay. okay. I, I would say not...
1: attack is kind of strong. Uh, let's, just, let's just calm down a bit. I mean, there was misunderstandings, things were said, but attack? No, no.
3: <laughs> it was never intended to be an attack. It was just a a handshake. Check
5: out
6: who you are. That is not a handshake.
1: She's just well, slightly overbearing. It's how we do things here. I mean, when in Rome. Anyways, uh, do I recognize Corwin?
0: From the cards only. But as you kind of speak, Alain, his ear kind of cocks to the side. He listens to you even a little bit more closely. And his attention shifts away from Cassandra. And he says, Alain. How is your mother, anyways? I hear her voice in yours. She still hasn't told you, has she?
1: Do I know my mother?
0: You're not sure who he's
1: talking about. Um, she's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, before we get into uh, these pleasantries, uh, Uncle Corwin, I mean, uh, you're here in chains. Uh, there's robots. Uh, Uncle Benedict just turned into green and yellow slime. Perhaps you know what's going on.
0: You would lie to me even in this state?
1: It's not so much of a lie, but it's just we need to get to more uh, important things. I think uh, uh, we can catch up later, but uh, there's people coming after with his guns. You're trapped. Uh, maybe we should just talk about these things first.
0: We are family. What could be more important? Survival. Ha! Just like your mother. Ever the coward beneath all that poise and perfection. Even oh now, she does his bidding.
5: Whoa, 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 Tycho says. Can we just take a step back? And I mean, I feel Who like speaks. he's just asking you to get out of here.
0: Who speaks to me? Step forward so I can see you, so I can touch
5: Tycho, you. Tycho, I, I um, introduced myself when I walked in. Remember? Tycho, Tycho, Taiko and Sorrel.
0: I do not know these names. Step forward where I can touch you.
5: I step forward.
0: You hear a rustling of feathers in the wings. And he gingerly reaches out his hand towards you, and they actually attach on your armored form. Sorrel. What do you do? I'm going to
2: take my sword out just very carefully and quietly.
0: Just Please, he said, I am in no position to endanger you. Do you not see these chains? Do you not see that I am bound here? I just wish to get to know you. Come, Tycho. Let me You
5: see. could just ask.
0: I could, but I'm have kidding. you seen my eyes? Have you seen what the witch has placed on me?
5: Why don't we talk about that? Tell us more about it. Who put you here and what, who yeah, did this to you?
0: And, sorry, Cassandra, were you just talking then? Yeah, who is the witch? He kind of cocks his ear. You. You're Fiona's, are you not? Do you not know? I can sense it in your voice, in your mannerisms, in your touch that I feel through these chains. Do you possess your mother's guile? She's the real reason why I'm here. Imagine her using my own weapon against me. Only your mother could have pulled that off. But you don't know what I'm talking about, do you?
6: Now, why doesn't this sound... This sounds very likely. Tell me more of this witch.
0: Perhaps. All of
4: our family reunions have been weird. This is perhaps the
0: weirdest. He sighs, but then continues to basically feel along the armor of Tycho's form. And the sound of wings flapping grows even stronger in the background. His hands now actually close upon past your arms and they're moving to where your chest area is, all the armor, and they're kind of moving beyond. And he says, shape-shifting, this is not your true form. What is?
5: This is one of my true forms.
0: You speak truth there, but behind every form, there is the avatar and your human form. I would know this if you would allow me to. And his hands move towards your face and your horn.
5: Oh, hey, buddy, watch the horn. (laughs) Um, Why, what does it matter to you, what my true form is?
0: Because I need to know who you are, not what you, your external form shows. That is irrelevant in the greater scheme of things. What danger do I pose? You do not need to maintain your armor. I am here in chains, incapable of doing anything. You are in control of the situation, and there are more of you than there are of me.
5: There are, but um it never hurts to be cautious. But I, I take your meaning. I um slowly exhale and um, contract into my, my human shape.
0: As you switch fully from your combat form into, you, into your human, his hands kind of grasp onto the side, feeling your face, feeling your cheekbones, feeling your essence. And all of a sudden his hands drop away from you and he gasps and he actually, his body starts shuddering. And you realize that he's crying. And he says...
5: Well, I hardly ever get that reaction, but uh, way to make a guy feel a little uh, <laughs> self-conscious.
0: He says, more. She, she didn't tell me. Pattern, be damned, why didn't she tell me? You, you have my blood. Midnight. He can taste it. I can feel it. And with that, a raven flies into the room and lands on his left arm. And, Cassandra, this is the same raven that brought you the Trump in your aunt's manner. The raven caws twice and seems to be looking back and forth between Tycho and Sorrel. Uh... Does
3: Benedict's Trump
0: Yeah, so remember at the doorway, you kind of went and then the raven kind of knocked at the door, and that's who you got the trump from. That raven, you are almost positive, is the exact same one that stands before you right now. Well,
3: that's why I'm asking if he sent us Benedict.
0: Oh, you're asking if he sent it? Yes. Yes. Midnight is constructed of my blood. I sent him to you based on on Gideon's call. Anyways, I apologize. It has been too long since I have been in contact with anybody. Do you know who I am?
6: You know you're fuck a family.
0: <laughs> and clearly you are, otherwise you wouldn't have made it here. I am Corwin. And that does ring through you, especially ULA. And there is a certain amount of truth to that statement.
1: I said, well, okay, this is very good. How about we uh, see about getting these uh, shackles off you, shall we? And I go up and I start inspecting them because I feel Trump power coming from them. So can I use my Trump, my lesser Trump abilities to analyze them?
0: He actually sort of laughs and he says, these will pale your power, your knowledge They will be insufficient. These have been created by my sister, Cassandra's mother. You will not
1: find out more about them, though.
0: You are from Amber, are you not? And with that, you all hear that word and the power and the resonance that that has. Do you know who serves, who is king? And he almost seems to spit at that word in Amber now.
1: You have us all at a loss, I believe. Uh, We, well, at least I can speak for myself. I don't really know much of these things.
0: The usurper, Eric, and, you know, that, all that hatred and desire and thirst for vengeance is packed into that word. I was unable to make the rightful claim to my throne. After Father has passed into the beyond, abdicating. I made a move to, make, to stake my rightful claim to the throne. But he, already in play, has managed to block all passage. And he has therefore claimed it. I became prisoner. And they think, all of them, that I am rotting away in the cell beneath Castle Amber. But no, your aunt, your mother... Fiona has helped him. And this is the place that they brought me where I could do the least amount of harm, where no one will suspect.
3: Why would they capture?
0: Because I have the rightful claim and they wish to oppose it. They will not allow me to make that claim for they know it is truthful. They know it is right. And he spits on the ground and he says, They claim amber in falsehood.
6: You're not Corwin. This must be the reason that the great sword mother sent me. I will help you. We will secure it.
0: Do you know what it means to be a scion of amber? Again, that word like lightning electrifies your spirits.
6: I do not, but I know that there is a greater calling, and life has been like dust. It has been empty to this point. But when you say these words, they stir something inside me that I must answer the call.
1: I would like to know more, too. I have always sought after these higher truths.
6: Will you teach us?
0: Let us, as they say, make a bargain, shall we? You seek to understand your birthright, that which is rightfully yours because of your blood. I wish to be freed from these chains, from this prison, so I can then make my rightful claim to regain the throne, to wrest it from the imposters, from those who side the sycophants that would keep... All of reality shackled. Are you willing to assist?
6: It is why I'm here.
0: What of What the would rest? you
6: give
1: us? You want to make a bargain, but what would you give us?
0: You want the secret to your birthright, do you not? You wish to see Amber. You wish to experience, to gain over the power over Shadow. You can feel that, I know. Sorcerer, otherwise you would not be delving in these petty magics. But your studies, they are trivial. They are laughable in shadow. What you truly want is to seize true power. That which only the pattern can gain you. And as he speaks that word, the pattern, you get that same flash of energy, of truth, of solid grounding of a primeval metaphysical power as much as amber that word resonates pattern is even stronger
1: uncle i certainly want this but let me tell you what i know about our family that we're all terrible to each other and that as much as i want to free you i'm sure that other people would not be pleased at this so for as much as i want these things let's just speak like family members what can you do for us to protect us from, certainly, someone terrible's displeasure at doing this.
0: Now you it are... would be nice to know
1: these things, but it's not going to be very nice if someone kills us over it.
0: And see there, you speak the greatest truth. We are, in fact, family, and we speak as family because this is our nature. I have no fear. Let me try to explain. What have you seen in your worlds and in your shadows that leads you in the past days to question what is going on? Have you seen things or have experiences that lead you away from what you have made your lives and begun to question everything?
4: Astrid will just start laughing and be like, I don't even know how we got here. (laughs) <laughs> the past we two days. Here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you laugh, but surely you have seen changes in shadow. Yes. Things which are outside of, shall we say, normality. We yes, Uncle, Aunt we Aunt saw Aunt 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 these Aunt things.
3: Aunt. Yeah, when we were at Aunt Florimel's.
0: Do you know what these are? All of shadow. All of the possibilities in the realms of existence are the reflections of that which is in amber. And you see within it the chaos that is being wrought, the shadows and the hate which is reflective based on his reign. Because Eric, he spits, sits on the throne. Everything reflects this in the in the smallest, most insignificant shadow, and his touch, his corruption, his evil extends into all realms. And you have started to see the ripples of this in your realities. Whether you stand as does Sigrund in Vanaheim, or as you do in Shadow Earth, where Flora has kept you prisoners for centuries, you have started to see these things, these changes that are now in the environment. These are the direct cause of his apostate realm, his inappropriate claim to the throne. Help me.
3: How do you know what you know say- what you're saying is true? Ha.
0: Huh. In that, you speak exactly as your mother, and she would have that same caution. She would... Not proceed without wanting the evidence. And it is good. Believe me, I, were I in your shoes, I would not trust either. But let me say this he steps back and The raven all of a sudden plunges its beak into his shoulder and with a caw does a tear that rips into his flesh and blood that is both kind of this dark pulsing red begins to kind of flow out. And then you can feel the gathering of some sort of mystical energy, some psychic focus around him. And his blood begins to almost kind of fold in and... Um, wrap around itself and it starts beginning to kind of creep up and crawl up his body and extend in little tendrils off of his, his, his shoulders and off of his torso. What do you guys do?
3: What do we sense he's trying to do with this?
0: He's gathering some sort of energy, some sort of casting or spell. You feel that it is limited by where he is, and it seems to be basically associated with his blood. Tycho and Sorrel... As he's doing this, you get this really weird sympathetic vibration happening in your own bodies and you almost feel your own blood kind of pulsing at the same rate at whatever these weird blood transformations are going on in his body. You guys let it happen?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is interesting.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: I'm so, curious to see what happens.
5: Sir. So, yes.
0: What happens then, it's a really strange kind of mix where almost the blood that is flowing from that wound starts to create almost a three-dimensional artistic piece. And the blood itself is drawing a picture. And you can see it that in it framed by the blood itself seems to be this glowing silver and golden pattern that is like a mandala traced amongst the ground there are flares of silver and golden energy which kind of trace around the the, the large swellings of all of this and it seems to be inside some sort of chamber maybe deep within the earth and pointed in the middle of the center of that pattern, if you will, is a silver blade, um, basically a curved katana of ultimate perfection. And it kind of stays there. This is the pattern. And again, as he says that word, it resonates with you. If you help free me, if you retrieve grace, one dear, my sword from the center You shall gain the power to walk in shadow. You shall know your birthright. Return the sword to me and free me, and then we can work to right this wrong. Regardless of whether you trust me or not, you stand here to gain that which is yours by birth, by right, by blood. Regardless of the extent to which you trust me, regardless of the, st- the extent you think I am dangerous, you will become as much so as you will claim what is truthfully and rightfully yours. Is this something that you agree to?
5: What is My, walking by in By birth, sin? by
6: right, by blood, I do.
0: Okay, so that's, that's, that's um, Sigrid. And then, sorry, Tycho, what do you say as you're switched?
5: What does what walking in shadow mean?
0: What it means is with the imprint of the pattern seared into your blood. You then have the ability to walk in shadow to a place of your desire. You can move or you can bend shadow around you so that which you need, that which you want or that which you desire, you can create that possibility. It is limited only by your desire and by your need. But again, these are only the reflections and shadow. Everything ultimately flows from amber, ultimately from the pattern. So while you would gain power over those things which are in the spaces in between, you will still not gain full mastery to your birthright without my rightful place on the throne of amber.
3: But how would
0: we? If you walk the pattern, Cassandra, if you put your feet on its path and you do not stop until you reach the center, the power that resides within will bind itself to you and it shall awaken your inherent royalty. With that, you will gain your birthright. But only if you walk the pattern. Stop. Start on the path and do not continue, and you will die.
3: How do you get to the pattern?
0: Ah, now that is what we're talking about, is it not? Will you help me? Will you agree to free me to return my sword? If you do, then I will open the way. Otherwise, you can leave this place. The choice is yours.
4: I will help Astrid will also say, um, well, this is certainly more interesting than lounging around Aunt Flora Mel's for the next two weeks. And I feel like we owe it to Uncle
0: Benedict. Okay. Anyone else disagree or choose not to be part of this bargain?
2: Laurel is thinking that this might be her birthright specifically, hers and Tycho's, so she's up for it.
0: Anybody against? Doesn't sound like it. Ale, you're the only one who hasn't fully committed, I think.
1: I'm just really, I'm just taking it all in right now. Um, But yes, I'm I'm for this. Yes, don't
4: be a coward.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hold out your hands to me. I shall extract from you both your blood and a blood oath. Midnight shall take it and taste your flesh. Who is he talking to? He's talking to all of you.
6: I guess Sigrid I... will step forward and, and extend her hands.
0: Okay, so can... the raven caws loudly and pecks at your hand, and I'm assuming you don't take it away. No,
6: no, no. I hold. I hold
0: still. So it tears into your flesh, and a little bit of the beak also kind of trails that little bit of blood, and coming out, stretching from your that wound, your blood begins to flow past the bird, and actually starts to flow in a little trail all the way going to Corwin, connecting with the area where he is bleeding from as well. You do anything to stop it?
6: No, I allow it.
0: Okay. What about the rest of you? I hand. I, I do allow the it. Anybody not?
5: No, I do it too.
0: Okay. So basically that ritual is kind of repeated. And basically he has pulled and extracted from you a little bit of your blood, which binds with his. And especially Cassandra, especially Alain, you can feel the potency of that act. In anything that involves magic and ritual and energy, Blood is the most powerful, and when you swear it, and the blood of family is even more powerful. So now all of you inextricably have given of your blood, and it is bound in word, in deed, and in oath into his. And it seems to coalesce into a tiny gem, which he then holds. And basically, he kind of palms it, and you feel that it kind of disappear. Red flashes of light kind of exude from the hand, and then he opens his hand, and that gem or whatever is no longer there. And he says, there, it is done. The blood oath has been taken and sworn. And with that, he flings his hand open little droplets of blood kind of come out towards you and start, you can see this gathering of energy coming around you, starting to you know, touch your bodies and actually start to move all the way up. And it's starting to flow around your head, flow around your bodies and start to connect you. And you feel similarly to the event when you were kind of transported by Trump, except for this has a weird quality to it, this sort of warm liquid blood uh, base. That kind of comes into it and all of a sudden that flows over you and the world around you is warm pulsing blood like arterial blood flowing through a beating heart and you feel yourself stretched through an eternity of this passage you're just like a red blood corpse or puzzle or whatever it's called kind of flowing through an artery into the heart and you're kind of transported through this other kind of path and you feel yourself flowing into another area and you go through yet another one of these kind of valves within the heart the organs of the universe as this breeze and the entity of all space and time And you emerge into another place. And although the lighting differs, the lighting is not tinged with blood and the magic of Corwin's blood spell. You are, in essence, in the same place. The air in this place, wherever it is you are, is cool the air is still almost stagnant and you think and you feel like you are deep underground you're not really quite sure how you can validate that but the air has that kind of stagnant still quality to it but shining Subtle, insistent, brilliant, and powerful in front of you is this circular tracing. Silverish, tinged into gold, flowing and brilliant light curving around a mandala that is carved by light and power into the center of this chamber. You stand each on the periphery in the shadows, which are cast from reflected light of the pattern off of the sides of this subterranean chamber. And before you is the most incredible, beautiful, intricate sight that you probably have ever laid your eyes on. Alain, in all of your training, your exploration of Trump, your artistry, your sorcery, your magic, you haven't seen anything with this level of intricacy and solidity and power. Cassandra, the same. Your psychic sense echoes from the chamber, and you feel the power bursting off of this tracery, this runic incantation in the ground. And everything speaks of tremendous ultimate power. The twins, you also feel this deep in your bones, in your blood, in your shapeshifter's bodies, you can feel the pulse of this pattern beating like a heart and flowing into your soles of your feet and you feel it echo throughout you. Astrid, this is like the moments of perfection within your meditations, your flowing vinyasa movements, your tai chi, twists and turns and meditations and it is deeper and greater and more inspiring than all of these experiences put together concentrated into a thousand times and it gives you that sense of just oneness with everything. In the center of this tracery, in the center of this pattern, is a single spear of light, a silver blade of ultimate perfection, the glint of something red and jewel-like at the center of the hilt, flashing. So all of you kind of stand within. Again, the pattern kind of pulses with its own life, its own spirit and its energy, and you can feel it everywhere. And you hear in your mind the echo of these words. Once you walk on the path, once you set foot, if you stop, you die.
3: Okay, I'm going on.
0: I okay, walk forward. all right, so now um, I'm, I'm going to take this down in terms of the order. So the first person I heard going on is Cassandra. Next is Alain, I think it was. Yes. Okay.
6: Sigrun will be right there.
0: Sigrun is third. Uh, Tycho's next. Tycho? Astrid or Leah?
4: Does um, the Sorrel want to go with her brother? Yes.
2: Yeah, okay. I'll definitely be on the heels of Tycho, because that seems something I'll, she would. I'll follow Sorrel then.
0: So you're kind of last to kind of step on the pattern. And what's interesting, especially Astrid, I will describe this to you. Each of your cousins, your companions, your siblings in blood step onto the pattern, and as you see them step, the light flares over their bodies and actually seems to kind of shine upwards to the point where those flashes in the curtains of light, almost like the aurora borealis, seems to obscure their bodies, and you no longer really see them, and each steps onto the curved path of the pattern. Cassandra, you are the first on. And with a flash of light, your legs begin kind of walking along the curved pattern. It is easy going. It is a fairly, um, you know, mundane thing as you walk from one place to the other. And you hear, you know, the click and the echo of your footsteps that are kind of walking across, um, you know, this this silvery path. Um, Can I ask... Cassandra, when you are a lawyer in Shadow Earth, what kind of footwear do you wear?
3: Um, I would wear probably high heeled pumps.
0: High heel pumps. And as you do that your, cl- your pumps clip you know a- across the walkway of the building where you do your legal work your offices in Manhattan, your offices in Geneva, your offices in London, Hong Kong, Thailand, Bangkok, all of these places kind of merge into your one. And you can see that some of your legal assistants, your parallels, your senior partners in law, they all kind of you know, look at you and they gesture as you kind of pass by. And you go to the room where you are preparing for your latest court case and you sit down and begin to scribe your thoughts and your preparations for the trial. Is there anything in particular you wish to do?
3: Well, I thought I had to be walking, so why would oh. I be seated?
0: Well, you are seated inside of your office chamber, and then there's a knock on the door, and one of your um, your most trusted paralegals, Mai Chen, she kind of walks in with carrying a huge bundle of books, and she kind of hands them to you. Ma'am, this is the uh, evidence for the fifth uh, portion on this one. Um, we're coming in just as you requested. Um, what else do you need, madam?
3: Uh, I just need everything that I asked.
0: Oh, thank you. Of course, I, we are getting it as quick as we can. And she kind of slams it, you know, this pile of books that's on the table. And the moment, she kind of steps off to the side, exits the room. Madam, can we come in? We have uh, that which you were requesting. These are documents A to six point four, as well as the appendices from uh, the Johnson case. Can we bring them in? Yes. Thank you. All right. And then that person kind of piles and then again and again and again, this happens and you are seated in front and you can see, you know, the first pile of books, the second pile of books, the third pile of books, another person comes in and he's got like videotape and CDs and all forms of kind of audio and visual, um, you know, media and everything is starting to pile up. And then madam, madam. And, you know, turns into this endless flow of people and all your legal servants just kind of coming in. And the mountain of work in front of you is just beginning to pile and pile and pile. You can't keep up with it. Your pen is trying to scribe quickly. And, you know, the the, the knocks just continue to come and they continue to move in. And in fact, the room almost seems to shrink a little bit. What do you do?
3: I'm going to ask to stop bothering you.
0: most of okay. the And And you turn off to the side and you can see the one person kind of nod her head and she leaves the room. Stop bothering me. And she leaves. And then another person kind of comes in. Stop bothering me. Stop bother. And it's like this echo that continue. And then the books pile and the ledgers, they begin to accumulate the, um, security files, the downloads, all of these things start to build like a wall, like a mountain, like a deluge in front of you. What do you do?
3: I'm going to take some books where nobody knows where I am.
0: Okay. You brush them aside and which books do you grab? The most important. Okay, you reach to the heart of this. And then, you know, basically you plunge your hands into the middle and you reach and grab for, you know, the things which are at the heart of this case. Not all these trivialities, not all this kind of crap that they're bringing and they're they're piling onto you. As it gets more insistent and you reach in and you grab and you push forward. Ale, you are in your studio hanging your spells you prep the mystic energies and you weave the patterns of arcana so painstakingly again and again so Hard to do, so hard to maintain. Why do you have to keep on doing this? Why do you even bother? You have the beginnings of a casting, which you then anchor to the side of your sorceress casting, but you see it begin to dissolve, as it always does, because sorcery is weak, sorcery is ephemeral, and it begins to melt off to the side. How do you continue to build your sorceress incantation? how do you hang your spell?
1: My whole life I've been questing after ultimate reality. I started with physics, and then nuclear physics, and then quantum physics, and then I extended into art and music, getting more and more sublime. And eventually I transcended into sorcery, but I realized this is all just an illusion. And I keep on trying to focus on my intuitions, which I have developed. And I just let it slip away. And I just want to focus on what's behind it. The truer and deeper meaning. The music of the spheres.
0: And in that moment of concentration and realization, you feel the confluence of these arcane formulas, these physical descriptions, these metaphysical theses E equals MC square, the photosynthesis, all these bits, science, uh, magic, incantations whirling into one, and you toss aside those things and you recognize this is an illusion. This is not real. This only is something that falls within shadow. And then you start to get to a deeper, darker heart of reality and you feel and you hear it this kind of reverberation of a gong of pure tonality, pure music of 13,000 harmonies kind of coming into one and begin to ring around your area, ring around your concentration. And it's actually starting to kind of shake the room. You can feel the little bits of crystal and the, The candle that you kind of lit over to the side, the glass that kind of is seated off to the area filled with that arcane liquid, they all start to shake and tremor. And things are at the breaking point. What do you do?
1: I just slip into it. Even this is an illusion. The only thing that is real is my will. And my will slipping into a greater will.
0: All of that stuff, smoke, and mirrors. You toss away, you bend away, you shift away. You just dispel it with that and you gather you will. And then with that, you hear this, <laughs> this deep resonant laugh that booms in the caverns, in the darkness of the pentacle that you had cast on the ground. All the arcane sigils that have been basically traced in blood and in sacrifice. And you can feel that energy so long locked away from your your memory and you remember this moment and the demon opens its voice and speaks to you. Who was next? I believe it was Sigurd. Sigrun. Sigrun, I'm I'm sorry. Okay. You're walking, hands clutching at your fur cloak, feeling the icy wind blow past so f- frigid and so penetrating into every ounce of your skin, and you have been walking for hours or days, and the wind has not stopped. The ice pelts at your skin, stinging like needles slashing like daggers and you put your head down you try to pull it into your fur cloak but even that is not enough the wind is beginning to tear at those areas and it's soaked and you are soaked to the bone and you're becoming more lethargic with every single step it would be so easy to just rest and, and you want to so badly and your hand almost frozen solid to the pommel of your sword as you put one foot before the other, put another one, and then your leg and your foot, your ankle, your thigh, sink deep into the snow and it's so hard to move. What do you do?
6: I invoke my power word, Sin because I know I cannot give up.
0: But you've done that so many times, how many times in the past hour, how many times in the past day have you summoned that reserve of psychic strength to give you that extra burst of something and it's flagging. You don't know if you could pull it again. You don't know what that's going to take out of you. Wouldn't it be easier just to lay down? God, God, and you know what the thought of that it makes you warm and you you just every ounce of your being is longing just to go just to sleep what do you do
6: i resist it i resist i resist I, and i just keep resisting it's in my nature to to resist even though it would be you know calling me to 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 yield i i i just continue to resist
0: That's easy to do. That is what you have always done. It is strength against strength against strength, physicality against physicality against physicality. The warrior's intellect, the warrior spirit, striving to maintain that which allows them to take that next step forward. But you've been doing this for days, you don't even know how long, and you peer out into the windswept desert of snow and ice, and you think you can see before you some trembling mirage of light, of warmth. Is it, is it a candle? Is it a torch? It's so close yet so far, you barely see it through your your squinting eyes as the snow, the sleet, the hail just washes over you. What do you do?
6: I head towards the light. I crawl if I have to.
0: And you do so. And then the closer you get, you can hear the wind pick up. Blowing everywhere around you, freezing icicles onto your face. And the light you think you're starting to see double or triple or quadruple through the icicles that form patterns on your face. And you can see that light begin to glow even further. And you step into, you think you see maybe it's a cave, maybe it's a cavern. Do you go there? I do. And you step forward into the light. Tycho, you are seated in the position that you have trained so long to do. The things that in this place, your ambition, your drive, your desire to ascend has taken you to this moment and you feel your attendants strap you in. They kind of buckle um, your helmet to your head. They bring and cross over the belts that connect to your side, click once onto the side, click once onto the chest, click once across to your weight and you can feel the snugness of that resistance pinning you to the back of the chair and then you start to feel the instruments around you. Your skillful hands, your keen intellect it does the math it does the calculations you bring into your spirit the focus and the concentration as the lights in your cockpit begin to light off. One, two three at a time they flash on the readiness symbol the warning checks, the preparation, the countdown. What is the name of your starship?
5: Um, let's say it is um, the Pandora.
0: Pandora. T minus 10. Nine. And the countdown goes forward and forward. And you feel yourself go through that road, Pandora, check. And, you know, the mission control, they relay back those almost incantation-like statements that are so tied into the science of this place. And then you feel the rumblings, the powerful energies of the rockets beginning to fire. One, two, three, and then an incredible force stronger than any, like, like a giant's hand pressing against your chest is slamming you back against your chair. And you're being pushed backwards into the seat as the rocket takes off and the pressure is gaining on you. And actually there's a small rattle and catch inside of your helmet. And you realize at that second, there's something that's kind of off. Maybe the latch hasn't fully kind of gone on and you can feel the pressure begin to augment a, a, a red wall warning light begins to flash on and on and on. What do you do?
5: I check the warning light. And at the same time, I reach up a hand to the latch. I try to do it by just um, memory of, turning it
0: off. uh, Yeah. And, and these are kind of built into your memory, into your muscles. You know, it, you know, these are, these are simulations that you've done a thousand, you know, 2000 times, and you manage to kind of click through it. The button flashes from red to, to, to Amber, and then ultimately into green and you press the button and the separation takes place. And then you begin, and then you feel even more, the pressure just continues to press and not one giant now, but a whole, army of giants pressing upon you and you can feel that and you're resisting with your strength and you can feel and within your spacesuit um what do you have like um in your armored form um are there any like you know horns or jagged edges or anything like that or is it all kind of reflective armor
5: um i thought that well maybe at the like the elbows they might have Um, Jagged, it would be more jagged at the the elbows and like the Your body
0: is starting to switch. It's sensing the natural danger and your instinctual reaction to danger and physical um, stress upon your body, stress and strain, you feel your body begin to slip into the normal patterns and your human forms are starting to, you know, just sloth away. You can feel the armored part actually expand and you can see your glove begin to, you know, actually start to stretch outwards as your muscles, as your carapace, as the horn and the sharpened edges begin to press against the side of your spacesuit. What do you do?
5: I hold on tight, and um, I am going to match strength with strength.
0: Okay. Are you trying to retain your form, or do you release it?
5: Hmm... Can the I rocket survive. now
0: is, shape, is shaking. Every ounce of the cockpit is, is just trembling rapidly. Lights flash around you. You see the stars whirring. And all of a sudden, the, the cockpit is beginning to spin, almost like the rocket itself is shifting on its orbit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you are starting to, you know, actually like you ho- you're holding on to the kind of controls, but you almost feel like in order to be able to steer it, you're going to need something more, something different in order to kind of change the course of where you're headed, which is into this endless, unending pressure that continues to pile upon you.
5: Okay. Um, can I take control of the, the flight stick? and wrestle it
0: in the
5: way that I need it to go.
0: You pull it there, and for a second, it actually shifts in, and then everything just kind of flows away, and poof, as you kind of do that, um, there, a secondary kind of booster kind of kicks in, and then whoosh, kind of flows away. All right. Um, Sorrel. Yeah your brother is steps before you and you now see his steps beginning to slow and you are reaching in. And then from behind you, ting, you can hear like swords that are coming out of their sheaves and moving in your direction. There's one opponent, a second opponent and a third opponent. And they now come like in a triangle, um, moving rapidly towards your position. Their are fencing stances on guard. The, flash of the tip of the sharpened blades are there before you. And it kind of weaves this pattern of skill and ability coming towards you. And then all of a sudden, you know, they are all that you see in front of you almost stepping in this pattern, getting closer and tighter a pattern around you, as opposed to the the, 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 um, the path that you're kind of on. And they're actually now moving and they, they begin to, you know, encroach upon your position. And all of them say at the same time, on guard what do you do? I face them. I take my stance of my own
2: and I draw my sword.
0: As soon as you do that, you can feel the ground around you begin to erupt almost like these tendrils of energy kind of flashes up. And where your feet kind of solidify into that stance, the on-guard position, as your opponents encroach upon your area, you feel almost like your feet begin to be encased in ice or crystal and they're starting to flow up your feet start to become imprisoned in this matrix of crystal and energy and these creatures come towards you two of them are kind of off to the side you have another one which is in front of you but you are kind of starting to be fixed in position what do you do
2: i try and take a step forward both to Release the crystal at my feet and to stab at the opponent
0: in front of me. Okay, and so that's perfect. As you kind of, you know, tense, you manage to kind of put your, your 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 back foot into the position, you use it as that lunge. And in fact, the very act of breaking out of that temporary paralysis, that encasement of crystal allows you to fling forward and your blade penetrates deep into you know the, the, the this this creature in front of you. You bat aside all of its defenses and your blade penetrates deep into the abdomen and all of a sudden blood begins spurting out and it's flowing all over you. The two creatures are coming on you from behind and off to the side. What do you do?
2: Instead of turning to face them, I pick up the pace and try and distance them moving forward.
0: Yeah. And in fact, they are trying to kind of keep pace. You still feel the floor trying to grasp around you, trying to kind of form that crystal but you ignore it slashing it in front of you the problem is though the part of wherever this has come from blood is starting to actually drip off of your um, left gauntlet and it forms a steady drip which basically drops onto the the floor of the pattern and then there's a spark of dark brilliant energy that burns a hole into the pattern these little droplets of your blood each one of them kind of dropping you almost see them like slow motion as they kind of penetrate like acid into the pattern and the in the substance of the pattern itself and it begins to kind of spread out in this liquid path uh, this this liquid um this this liquid flow now you're continuing to move forward is that what you want to do yes Okay, you I think, will
2: clutch my wrist and see if I can stop the bleeding. Okay, you're
0: going to try to stop it, and that does slow you a little bit, Astrid. Yep, your yoga training, your martial arts training teaches the principle of constant flow and constant motion. Your instructor in front of you that calm yet insistence presence that pushes into your form and you can feel yourself beginning to yield and in almost like a circular like motion you begin kind of pushing and you know that if you extend your energy and you tense up for even the slightest second and you don't continue that flow, you actually lock yourself into a position where your opponent could take advantage of you. They could pull you off to the side or they could push you or they could unbalance you. So this dance that you're in this flow, this pushing hands is this elegant and esoteric sense of movement and exchange in opposition and and counter opposition to each other as you kind of, you know, push around the side of the edge of the mountain to which you have both kind of climbed. Now you are starting to kind of move in that direction. And then, you know, she pushes downwards into you and you kind of flow upwards and you let that kind of release. And she's now coming back around and you can feel the gathering of her energy begin to penetrate towards the center of your body. What do you do?
4: Uh, I just uh, try to concentrate on keep, uh, keeping the movement flowing and focus more on the movements and trusting uh, the movements to, um, to maintain the energy.
0: Okay. So as that push kind of, you know, extends into you, you blend into it, slipping yourself an elbow here, a shoulder there, a knee into that position. You kind of lock for a second and flow around that. She flows into you, equal skill matching, equal skill. And then you realize that this is continuing. And then, you know, in fact, the constancy of your movement is actually stasis in of itself. And you realize, and you can see in the periphery, you can see your cousins moving ahead of you, whereas you, flowing into this point of continuous perpetual motion, are locked in place in a spiral of never-ending perpetual motion. You see Cassandra begin to break through some sort of barrier that flashes up in front of you. The Viking warrior, she you know, brings down her blade upon something which shatters into glass and she kind of steps forward. And then even Alain, he's doing some weird thing with his hands and he begins actually floating into the air. All of your cousins going through this and moving forward, yet you in your perpetual motion, state you're stuck, you are fixed. you are not moving. What do you do?
4: I'm not moving in movement so I uh, stop moving. I close my eyes, I take a deep breath and uh, I close my eyes so that I don't focus on what's going on around me and um, I change my movements and try to move towards where I felt my cousins were.
0: Okay with that that change in the perpetual nation of what you did crash. and then each of you in in your own way released past the first veil which seemed to be almost an impossibility of a blockage but then once you kind of release past that point, Alain, you can feel the laughter kind of, you know, cascading over your body. Cassandra you can kind of feel yourself kind of you know moving and bursting through all of the books and getting to the heart and as you do this, it's like this crystal wall in front of all of you all of a sudden shatters outwards into a million pieces and each of you are lacerated by these little bits of shard and crystal which clench into your body and start to drip blood all over, but you step through and you're on the first side of the veil in the pattern. Before you is a long, almost seemingly infinite stretch of straightness, which then turns into a left then turns into a right and keeps on going. There are no curves in the center section as you begin to move forward. Alain. The laughter courses over you. And this deep, dark, and powerful voice resonates into you and says, I am dear. Use my name and I shall eat your heart, sorcerer. What do you do?
1: I just focus on myself. I know this is just me. This is just all an extension of me. And I just focus on my will. Is that what you think?
0: You think that I am an illusion? A fabrication of your mind and I do not exist outside of you? How arrogant, Amberite, princeling. You have summoned me before. You just forget because you always do looking so deep into your own reflection, admiring your ability, your strength in your ego, in your pride, but you forget why you are here, why you have risen to success. You owe it to me.
1: I try and ignore it. I just, I focus on myself and I focus on my will. I think of the music I have done in the past. I focus on my intuition and my passion how much i have longed for this and i just let my passion and my desire just strengthen me and try and push through
0: <laughs> fool you think you can continue to retreat into yourself and that this will save you you need allies princeling you don't even begin to understand the depths into which you tread You think you can tread this path alone, without a guide, without assistance? You are a fool. His hands reach out towards yours. You can see his bat-like wings in the smoking forms of shadow and darkness and flame begin to extend all along that clawed limb, which stretches out almost human-like, reaching upwards, offering its help, its succor. And he extends it to you so open, so welcome. What do you do?
1: I just repeat to myself, I am the blood of amber. It is my will. I only need myself.
0: And with that, by my
1: desire,
0: you feel almost a liquid start to envelop you, a liquid of gold and copper and orange flowing. And you feel a flash of insight. A mosquito struggling in million-year-old amber. The flow of some prehistoric tree sap that flows over your body. The hand outstretched towards you. The clawed, arcane fingers just inches away. So easy to reach out and the amber flows over your legs and you feel yourself begin to slow like you're in molasses it's now coming up over your thighs it is starting to rise and rise what do you do
1: it's true this is only my arrogance and every insight is arrogance as well i just empty my mind and i focus on the purity of my intent and my will and I cancel any insights that I have. I know nothing before this moment. Everything is garbage. I am beyond death and life.
0: And you hear this chuckling laughter from Strigwaldir. He says, Stop on the path and you will die, princeling. And you feel... The amber begin to flow over your center torso, and the toes, your legs, your ankles, you can't feel them anymore. It's almost as if they're encased, and you are starting to slow even further. All you need to do is ask for help, Prince
1: I don't accept his health. What I'm trying to say is I accept my death if I can't make it because there is nothing left for me if I can't get past this.
0: The amber flows past your arms. You no longer, unless you want to breach the amber itself, you cannot reach his offered hand. It flows over your shoulder. It's coming up on your neck and it is starting to actually flow upwards. This is your last chance. You could, with the power of your mind, break out of this flow, out of this change, do something, anything, but stay here where the amber will envelop you and stop you and kill you. What do you do?
1: This movement is an illusion, too. I just head deeper and deeper into everything. I, d- I head deeper into this phenomena.
0: And the amber flows over your head, over your eyes, into your nostrils, into your throat. And Cassandra, you break through. And in front of you is a woman, older, but still of an ageless beauty and elegance and sophistication. Her hair built up in ringlets that hang so fashionably from her head. The color of her hair, scarlet, red, and auburn, all of those shades Reflected in your own experience and the ringlets forward. And you can see her begin to twist some cards as if she's shuffling them between her fingers and they actually move forward into like sorceress kind of patterns. And you can see almost, you know, around her are these kind of twinklings, almost as if her psyche and her mind is actually exhibiting. Physical manifestations of stars and crystals and light, and you realize at the same time you can do the same thing. What do you do? What do you say?
3: I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and do whatever she's doing.
0: Okay, so you match her, and yes. um, it's almost like you kind of make that connection with her, and her green eyes bear into yours, and your emotions come you know so close to her own now you can see that her skill level is far far beyond yours but you match and you learn and you do what you have always done excelled by being able to mimic and absorb and understand and within a heartbeat within an infinity you have uncovered spells and energy and power and all of these things flick around around you this network this web this complex weaving of sorcery energy and power it is yours as equally as it is hers and you cast again against each other into a continuous um, basically fracturing of your wills and your energies and this endless exchange of the mystical psychic arts flows around you and continues to flow around you and you can feel yourself beginning to slow in time. You match her and you slow and you slow. Okay.
3: I try to grab it and push forward.
0: Push forward grab. physically? Or yeah, Or push, push forward uh, psychically? Mentally.
3: Well, psychically and physically.
0: You, well... You've got to choose one or the other.
3: Okay, well, I'm going to grab the energy that's around us, and I'm going to push through psychic.
0: That energy, as you grabs it, coalesces, and it could become anything you want. It could become a stick. It could become a pistol. It could become a snake. It could become a blade. What do you transform this, your thought, and your desire into?
3: Um, A snake.
0: And you plunge the snake forward and release it. The snake shoots out. Fangs kind of dig into her neck. She screams out in pain. And you can see all of the blood being drawn from her neck into the snake. And it's now flowing into you. You have that power. And you release it further. And glass shatters. Who was next? It was Tycho? No, it was uh, Sigrin. Okay. Sigrin. You step into a cave, you are no longer shivering from the cold. There is a residual warmth in this area and you feel it, something heavy, something large, breathing into the cavern. And that breath itself is warmed so much that it actually defrosts the air around you, this deep, guttural, powerful, eternal breath. That is coming from something deep within the cave. What do you do?
6: I move forward deeper into the cave.
0: Okay. And it's so easy for you to do that because you are so cold. And every step you take deeper into the cave, it just becomes that warmth. And your muscles begin to relax. They begin to kind of flow forward. And you begin to feel as if you are yourself. But you are surrounded in darkness. And there is this kind of snuffling, this breath. And you almost feel yourself drawn towards like a vacuum, pulling yourself deeper within the cave towards this presence, towards this entity that lays beyond what do you do
6: i keep going
0: okay you flow towards it and all of a sudden meters from your position this large yellow golden eye blinks open it is the eye of a wolf and the eye is bigger than three times your body and all of a sudden unfurling in front of you is a giant silver white wolf covered in icicles and frost and rime. And you see attached to its collar a thin silver line of moonlight that stretches towards the ground and is wrapped around a chain of some sort which is, is, is keeping it fixed to the ground. And you see the beast in front of you, this monstrosity, this giant wolf that would eat the moon and it opens its mouth. Fenrir. Free me, mortal. And I shall allow you to ascend to Valhalla. And you know this creature out of myth and out of legend. Fenrir the wolf, who if released from the silver chain, will devour the moon, devour the sun, and bring on Ragnarok, the end of days. It stomps the ground which shakes like an earthquake. And it looks at you with its baleful eyes. And it stretches this thin, almost invisible cord at its neck. And it can't move it. Free me, daughter of amber. And I shall your servant
6: is a thing of shadow isn't it shadow ends amber persists
0: what do you do you say these words but in front of the solidity and the majesty and the mysticism of this creature it feels so real it is your myth and your stories brought to life
6: Yes, I'm racking my brain. And I call upon Tear. I don't really expect an answer, but I I say his name, I say Tyr, Tiwaz. Tiwaz.
0: Your blade? The various runes, they flash forward and each one gains in brilliance and power as they flash up your sword. And you can see as they cross the boundary of each area on the hilt, your blade grows sharper and sharper. So it's almost like razor edge and it glints in the star and the moonlight. And you'd think with one quick slice, you could sever that silver thread. Generous howls at the moon, oh. Oh. and the power of that crosses worlds and enters into your body. The power associated with that, this creature out of legend,
6: I feel Hel- it come through me. This power, and I get the taste, and I and I know I want more. I know that there is no going back from here. And I take I take my sword, and I break the chain.
0: And with that moment, fate unfurls. And with a cry of victory and relief, Fenris breaks through the cavern. And you can see his form begin to grow and grow and grow. Everywhere around you, rocks and ice and stalactites are crumbling around you as you stand within your decision and your fate. Tycho and... Sorrel, you stand in front of each other. Sorrel in front of you, blocking your path, is your brother in full form, full armor. He stands before you, blocking your path, trying to interpose himself, thinking though he was born after you that somehow he has the right to stand before you to come first to try and better you and that scene flips and you see her in her serpentine scales the fangs of poison and reflective energies Tycho, and again you almost feel the edge of that sneer that Arrogance that has always come from her, even though she pretends otherwise and pretends to respect you and to support you. You know that she always came first in your father's eyes, how he always knew that you were the lesser of the two. And you stand before each other, ready and poised, stuck in this moment. What do you do?
5: I say... Has it come to this, Sorrel?
0: And Sorrel, what do you say?
2: If you stay in my path, perhaps it has.
5: Well, well then I guess... He says with a resigned shrug. I, I guess it has. And he gets... Um, into a combat pose.
0: He flows into his combat form. And somehow in this place, augmented by the ultimate power of this energy around him, he is more fearsome than ever. It is beyond the combat form. It is the truth, his essence, his true form. Duan, what does that look like?
5: Um, Are we talking about... What form are we talking
0: about? Oh, I'm talking about your ultimate form, the ultimate physical expression of everything that is your powerful, that your power, your nature, and your essence. Hmm. What do you show to your sister who stands trembling a coward before you?
5: I think that um, it's similar to his, his beetle beetle-ish, rhino beetle form. Okay, but um, the, it has wings. Okay, and it has like four wings that are kind of that that comes from the from from my back. Okay, and I'm surrounded by kind of this glow glowing golden halo. Um, and and my armor is. Is more rough and spiky. Yep. And um, altogether, I look more menacing. Yep. But also, but also more uh, um, like regal and awe-inspiring.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
5: mm-hmm. So, okay. so not not necessarily not just not just uh, terrifying, but yep. also um, an aspect of the divine that he touches when in this am this whole amber thing
0: absolutely and all of that is kind of amplified there's an iridescence and a regal majesty that is reflected through your carapace you know past every single angle and the light of this place almost kind of transforms it into these odd colored almost rainbow shapes that kind of flicker and and kind of bend past your body sorrel what form do you take and what do you show this base creature, this insignificant insect that stands before you? Not
2: to be outdone. I also, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like absolutely not. <laughs> I will take my own ultimate form, I suppose. And, into the shape of a serpent
0: with okay <sighs> and this is pure serpent right like there's no yes. humanity in it whatsoever yes. okay and I mean the ground shakes and rumbles in each scale um, are there any changes in the in your coloration
2: no I am still old but perhaps a brighter shade of it
0: okay and so this kind of reflects off and you know essentially like think about like the most gargantuan serpent that just kind of burst and like you know as the tail kind of swings by the edge of the ground these deep furrows are kind of carved along it and you know you basically and it you know you feel the rattle of like you know like a rattlesnake type of thing except for it's like a thousand times more potent and and, and, and fearful it slams against the ground you feel it kind of shake and then out comes like the tongue just kind of licking so alien, so cold-blooded. There isn't an ounce of humanity there. And you circle in front of you, you um, each other. But you can also see reflected in each of your eyes, Sorrel, you do see your brother deep within there. And Heiko, you see your sister deep within reflected. In the hearts of these forms, there are still the siblings that you know and recognize. Yet you face each other across the divide, poised for combat, poised for death, poised for struggle. What do you do?
2: Laurel is going to try and allow not to bite him or attack him so much as try and coil around him and trap okay. him like a boa constrictor.
0: All right. So her form moves quickly towards you and starts to kind of you know, wrap around. Tycho.
5: taiko is going to um he's gonna once she's wrapped around him he's yep. going to um like grab onto her and um and basically try to pull her off of him
0: okay. uh so as this gargantuan battle kind of clashes in forth your brilliant avatar form and hers kind of clashing together you get the sense Tycho that she is somehow withholding and is being more cautious than she you know should have it wasn't a full on attack she's actually you know taking it and with that there is an opening there is a vulnerability that you can seize and you can take, and you are this close to being able to grab it. So you could continue your action, or you could basically take an advantage and you know bypass and go for that point, that weakness, that vulnerability. What do you do?
5: I think, I think Taiko is going to think back to when he was a child, and he was just—he still had his green hair, um, but he was scrawny. And being um, bullied by, like, the neighborhood kids for being this weirdo who dyes his hair, um, though though he's never actually dyed his hair. Um, and, you know, he's the kids are pushing him down and he's like on the ground and then they like look at him and start running away. And he's all like, yes, that's right. I'm going to beat the crap out of you. But then he looks over his shoulder and it's Sorrel who is there. And she's taller and bigger and just like his 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 protector, his guardian.
0: Uh-huh. And
5: I think he kind that's when he kind of balks and does not go forward with Okay, uh-huh. Sorrel. Um,
0: In that moment, you know, and you made a mistake by actually kind of, you know, holding back a little bit. There was a moment there he could have taken advantage of it. Your coils now wrap around him and you could squeeze them tight and you could begin to crush him. But you see him hesitate. You see him kind of back off. You see the glimmer of your little brother's eyes reflect back at you. What do you do?
2: I hold him and I think about how much I want power there is beyond, but I can't bring myself to do it. I feel like if I destroy him, there won't be anything left of me. He's always the one thing that's been there, the one thing I care about besides myself and my ambition. I've protected him too long to destroy him now.
0: And you do that in your snake form and in that embrace, you revert to that thing which is so much a part of both of you that you are essentially extensions and connections of one and other, and you brush aside the veil which shatters in a million pieces before you as you step beyond the veil. Astrid, you shift out of the position of that eternal um motion and by changing that you actually shift that energy and it thrusts this your trainer kind of away from you and in that moment you're kind of hurled through forward and your form breaks onto and you emerge onto the deck of this ship that you don't really know but the waves kind of crash around you and you can see sailors in all directions responding to you know different shouts and nautical terms and trimming of the sails and you can feel the sea gather in all directions around you to the right to starboard you can see Beautiful, majestic cliffs that climb high, hundreds of feet into the sky. This brilliant, beautiful, almost alabaster white. And above it, fringed, um, is this massive, um, the most gorgeous, incredible forest that you've ever seen. And you are flowing along in the waves, and the ship is sailing into the sea of most beautiful azure. And at the top of the foremast in the forecastle where the ship is being directed stands before you a giant of a man, so powerful and noble and majestic, every ounce of him is the personification of strength and solidity and dependedness and honor. And his eye kind of turns towards you as he winks in your direction and shifts his stance slightly as the ship begins moving forward. You stand on this deck, surrounding you in all directions are other sailors. But this connection, this moment in time between this individual, this man, this captain, and you hangs between you, what do you do?
4: So I'm not in control of the ship. Do I feel like being on the ship is still like following the pattern or do I feel like it's a distraction?
0: You know what? If you wanted to, you could be in control of the ship. He is standing at the prow. You are but a step away from going to the back where you could easily rest control. These sailors, they are nothing. They are ants. They are just minor shadows that you could brush away with not even you know, the, the, the smallest of glances. You could take control of this vessel, absolutely. What do you okay. want to do?
4: That is what I want to do. I do not want to be distracted by the beautiful scenery uh, or just go along with the flow, but I want to make sure I'm following the pattern, oh. and I can only do that if I'm in charge.
0: Okay, so you basically bolt up of the steps. You can see this other man all of a sudden, his brow furrows in anger and surprise there was gentleness in his face there was humility but now upon seeing your action and your treachery it turns to anger it turns to rage you grab hold of the steering wheel and you have it now under your command you could turn it towards on the the starboard side towards the cliffside towards the rocks or you could turn it to the port side and you could actually flow into faster moving currents or you could continue to go forward but you see this huge monster of a man begin to leap forward and land from the foredeck onto the mid deck and he's beginning to rush forward towards you what do you do
4: go ahead and uh change the uh steering wheel To go in the correct direction.
0: What is the correct direction?
4: I feel like the correct direction is the faster water.
0: Okay. So you shift it towards the faster water. and In fact, as you do so, you realize that the... Steering wheel in your hand is actually changing materials where once it was wood, it shifts almost into this almost where the grains of the wood are slightly darker and slightly more towards a mahogany. And, you know, the almost the, the sides of the ship itself begin to lengthen. And where it was, you know, these large kind of square sails, it now kind of lengthens and streamlines into these. It's almost like a corsair with these triangular sails. And then part of the ship, you know, is basically wrapped in, in shadow and is kind of, um, away from the light. And that is the part that, um, you know, you're basically kind of, you know, turning the ship towards. So that's on the port side and on the starboard side, kind of cut in the middle is this large creature who is kind of this, this man, this, this, this being who's kind of charging towards your position. But as you shift it into that area, you all of a sudden flow and the momentum of, of the ship actually changes direction and you can see him flung off to the side. He crashes into the, you know, the side of the thing. You have the opportunity if you want, you could change the entire ship. And you know, you could move the space where the ship actually is and move it into a place where it is fully into that faster current. But you only have a second. What do you do?
4: I'll take that opportunity.
0: And you see his eyes gaze at you and in shock, in surprise, but also a little bit of respect as his form passes out of reality and you shift from one shadow into another and the ship breaches forward, all of you now shattering glass, you have passed the second veil. And now you all are traveling on this ship together. Okay? And um, you, uh, Tycho, you actually hold... Tenderly in your hand, uh, your arms, your sister, and you know, same thing for you, Cyril. You kind of, you know, are all kind of held there, um, and you are now on this. I'll call it a sleek pirate corsair of with, uh,
4: with red and blue sails.
0: Oh, very nice, absolutely, and it kind of you know echoes the, the, those those kind of colors. But then, um, Sigurd, you feel and see. A, um, a burst of water off to the port side that blows a huge wave into the air and you can see the beginnings of waves beginning to break on the surface and something is starting to kind of flow up. And in fact, Astrid, you feel the ship beginning to, you know, actually strain and you can feel the, the ropes beginning to kind of tense. All right, what do you guys do?
4: I'm still steering the ship
0: okay um before do we you, all see do we all see this you all see this and in all fact right. in front of you there's sort of um again a waver you know when you see a mirage and it's like this hazy kind of you know movement and you're looking at it and things almost seem to shift that's kind of what you see before you there's definitely clouds and there's a cliff side off to you know off to the the, the starboard you're Right, but after the port, there is this kind of large wave that is starting to gather and starting to gather. Okay. So I guess maybe help me uh describe what each of you is doing in this particular moment.
1: Okay, I go on the as far forward as I can. I just have my hand outstretched.
0: Okay, and what are you trying to do exactly, Ale?
1: I'm just focusing on the the area ahead of us. Um I mean, if I, I don't know what the front of a ship is called. Is it the prow or the aft I'm not sure. Yep, mm-hmm. I'm just... I'm in front of it. I'm accepting all this. I'm just... Yeah, I'm accepting the forward motion
0: okay and you see off to the the, the the starboard side there are jagged rocks that are now starting to jut and you can see like the the spray of the ocean water crashing and breaking against those jagged rocks and you kind of shout out a warning and asked for that's enough to kind of turn you just off to the side as the whole boat kind of lurches you feel yourselves kind of pulled off as the the, the, the prow of the boat begins tilting you know with the tension a splash and plume of water just explodes loads from the port side um i'm going to go okay sigrin what do you do
6: i'm quite at home on ships i am yep. uh, calling out for uh, for the rowers to row faster and to get some steering away from those rocks i'm just hollering out orders and expecting them to be followed
0: sigrin you know that as interesting as th- this ship's construction is, it is not a Viking ship. This is not a ship that is intended for warfare and raids and the glory of the warriors. You could maybe direct how this ship actually manifests itself to become something which is much more in tune with your current nature and your beliefs and your experience. Is this something you wish to do?
6: I hold tight to that vision, and I I know it so well. I've spent so much time on these uh, Viking ships. I just will it to be that way so that I can command it and control it and steer us to safety.
0: Okay. Astrid. The colors of the sails begin to shift, and they actually, the forms, they're sleek and, and they're, they're, they're streamlined forms actually begin to waver a little bit. It's almost as if this, something is interfering in this. And you notice the brilliant blues and cherry reds of your colors are beginning to shift and blend into black and silver. Do you allow this?
4: Do I associate black and silver with Corwin, or do I know that these are um, Sigrin's colors?
0: Well, I'm going to say this. You have seen those colors on Sigrun. You have seen these colors on Corwin. It could be one or the other.
4: So I uh, resist it only a little bit, but okay. instead what I'll do is um, I'll just keep a little piece of the sale for my colors and let the rest kind of open up for anybody who might want to manifest their and colors. And in fact,
0: as you do that, you know for a fact that the colors are Sigrun's. You know it with certainty. So you allow her the freedom to manipulate these energies. Yes. I give her one sail and I'll keep one for myself. Okay. So let's say that, you know, the ship has three sails. So the first sail, you're able to kind of manipulate um, their Sigrun, but the rest of the ship does not transform. Cassandra.
3: Okay. So is there still water, like a big wave towards us?
0: Well, now, even in fact, as you kind of uh, reach that a massive gigantic sea serpent breaches the waters and it's like a humpback whale except for it's the continuous never-ending presence of this gigantic marine worm that breaches out of the water with the gigantic spray and lands with a huge splash and the ship begins to kind of be you know tilt the other way and actually starts to, you know, you can like two men are kind of flown off to the side and they fly into the waters. Other ones are being washed over by the force of the waves and the ship, in fact, is being torn and twisted in multiple directions. One is trying to kind of move, maneuver, Astrid's one, but then there's the force of the waves that are slamming into the ship itself. It's starting to bend and creak. What do you do?
3: I am going to try and think of calm sea with no serpent
0: and I want to direct the ship to that. Okay, Um, you manage to kind of find a slightly different current that slips away from this area. And although you haven't eliminated, you know, the path to the serpent itself, it's still churning after you guys. You actually slip stream into another area and you flow into a slightly different um, bit. But, you know, the ship kind of bounces and jumps and smacks into the water. Astrid, uh, no, sorry, we're already doing you. Sorrel. Sorrel kind of pulls herself out of
2: arms and goes to the edge and glares at the serpent.
0: Okay. And the serpent is approaching. And in fact, even though Cassandra has managed to kind of, you know, create a little bit of a path, the problem with that path is that it was calm water and the calm water has actually slowed the ship down. And now the creature is. You know, basically cruising full on, full speed. It does a dive, and you can see the water begin to split like, you know, like a worm carving through earth, except for it's now coming straight towards the ship. And compared to the ship, this is the world serpent. And Sigurd, this is Jorgamandir. This is the world serpent out of myth and red legend that shall, you know, eat its own tail and basically swallow the earth. It is that in, which is moving towards you now. So Astrid, uh, sorry, not Astrid Sorrel, you glare at this creature, but it is way bigger than you unless you want to become the serpent yourself.
2: I think I would.
0: All right you begin to kind of slip away and all of you, you start seeing Sorrel and you never have seen this before. Okay. Always before there was a certain amount of integrity that actually flows into her form. And she, you can see her shift from a humanoid or a human form into the snake or even into the snake itself. But all of a sudden, and Tycho, you see this with alarm. She is beginning to almost flow into like primordial ooze, like a protoplasm. And there is no consistency to her form. It is just beginning to flow out and it stretches out like a giant amoeba. And going from the center of the ship, it starts to flow over and start to enter the ocean itself. Tycho, what do you do?
5: Um, so I take it that we're allowed to, to kind of take control of the world and um, view it, filter it through our, our own thoughts. How much, what's the limit of that?
0: I don't know, Tycho. What do you do? I'm thinking
5: um, that <laughs> <laughs> the world around um, starts to darken so that it becomes night and that you can only see like stars in the in the heavens, and they're also reflected in the water.
0: Okay, that happens. It gets and dark- then, sorry, it gets darker. Yeah, the yeah. lights begin to shine. Mm-hmm.
5: And and then then it's kind of hard to actually pick out the water, so it seems like we're floating through space. Oh, okay. And and um the the crew members around me Are all wearing like um, color coded uh, tunics now (laughs) and um, looking a little bit like uh, a Star Trek uh, knockoff.
0: Okay. You try to do this. Okay. And like those moments where, for example, when Astrid was going through the tunnel and things kind of flashed into a negative. um, and, yeah. and you know the you know reality kind of flashes, 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 and it kind of almost reverses polarity. That does happen, and all of a sudden your mind it basically screams out, almost like there's like daggers and needles that explode inside your brain and are trying to come out your eyes. Like this psychic energy or this manipulation, you're trying to do too much, too fast, and to. Sh- it with something which is based on water and turn it into space you know normal sailors into star trek people and your brain just screams out and you drop to the ground okay and all of a sudden whoosh, the scene shifts back into that normal thing and the worm is coming and um sorrel is now starting to flow half out of, uh, out of the water itself alain what do you do
1: um so, well i was at the prow of the ship so i see all this happening
0: yep well, in fact, you were there, and like all of a sudden, you know, the, the world started to kind of shift around you, and, you know, you started to see instead of the waves, there were a bunch of stars, and you kind of saw, here's an asteroid that almost crashes into the ship, but then all of a sudden, it flashes back, and you question everything, you're still in the water, and right in front of you, there's some more jagged rocks that are just kind of coming, the sprays are coming towards you, what do you do?
1: I just keep on swimming forward and forward, deeper into it.
0: You're going to swim, you're jumping into the water. Yes. You're jumping into the water. Well,
1: I, I, whatever. I just jump out. I just uh, forward. The only thing in my mind right now is forward. Okay. So whether I'm swimming, whether I'm walking on the water.
0: Okay, Alain. My
1: whole
0: Alain jumps off of the ship. <laughs> okay, with that, the worm um. bursts out of the water and splashes in, and you can feel now the the. Boat begin to creak as um, Sorrel's serpent form begins actually coalescing and lengthening onto the ship, and parts of it start to break and splinter and crash as her form actually is becoming too much to bear and, and weighing the ship down, and you can see her form almost start to mirror the world serpent as they're coming into a collision course in front of each other. Sigrind what do you do?
6: Oh, cool! That's wild. Um, yeah, I kind of like in awe uh, as I've watched uh, as I've, I've watched this transformation take take place. Uh, I envision the ship uh, going forward even faster than it was and being held together impossibly so. But it will hold together, and I can see a whole crew of uh, Vikings paddling it forward and giving us extra momentum.
0: Okay. Um, right. So you kind of do that. Um, Astrid, again, you think it is Sigrid, Sigrid kind of, um, interfering with your vision of what the ship is and again that interference is shifting things where her sails are starting to interfere with yours and you can hear this weird beat coming from like you know uh, slaves at the bottom of this ship and it's pounding this beat forward and you're kind of trying to move but your ship is you know basically a modern kind of renaissance kind of corsair right it's not even close to something that is man-powered or person powered and so this is getting in the way and in fact it's slowing the whole thing down and you can see the 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 serpent and if you slow down any further the serpent is going to crash into you what do you do
4: i'll use my power word on sig sigrun
0: and say chill
4: out Uh, and to try to rest control back to maintain our momentum.
0: Okay, Flash goes the power word over her. And I mean, uh, Sigrid, you were kind of taken off guard at this because you're concentrating so hard and trying to make your reality a Flash. And all of a sudden you lose that focus and you just kind of go woozy for a second. The ship kind of shifts back and you just have the barest hint. And again, the ship is becoming not that which you want. Are you still going to try to restore it to the Viking prowl?
6: Not if I see that it's moving faster in its current
0: form. Okay, that's fine. You see something as you kind of relinquish the control. There's something on the horizon just beyond your reach that shines like a silver spear in the darkness. It's brilliant. Light is shining forward. Cassandra, you see this as well.
3: Sorry, there's a brilliant light.
0: Yeah, through all of this, and you know, before there was some sort of stars, and you see this metallic reflection, almost kind of blinking back and forth, almost as if, you know, sunlight or starlight or something is kind of hitting it, and you get this flash of light that breaks through the clouds and breaks through the waves and the mist, and you can see it ahead of you, and you know, it's almost like you can see that flash of light.
3: Okay, so is the ship currently powered by wind, or is there
0: an... Uh, there are sails, and they are fully engaged, and you're definitely, you know, going on the ship by wind for sure.
3: Okay, so I want to think of a world where the wind is right behind us. It's going to increase our speed so that we can go more quickly
0: Okay, and what that does, it takes you even faster and you know closer. In fact, the, so you maintain the ship in its current form, and but the sails become even more filled. And around you everywhere, you can see the storm clouds blue, brewing behind you, and the ship begins to basically break through the water. And then that silver point of light is getting closer and closer and closer. In fact, you recognize it, It's Grace One, dear. Corwin's sword. Astrid, what do you do?
4: So the sword's right in front of us. Like, what is right in front? How close is right in front of us?
0: Um, well, so Cassandra has done something to kind of manipulate reality around you so that you're moving faster towards the silver point of light. You now, as you focus and see upon it, you can see its silver blade glinting with power and elemental energy. And, you know, it could be reached, it could be seized, it could be taken, but you have to get closer. And you also have the serpents that are kind of coming off onto the side that is creating some problems over there. So.
4: I um, will attempt to uh, have this ship start to fly <laughs> like a steampunk ship. Okay.
0: All right. So To
4: just, like, get closer and closer to the light.
0: Okay. So let's say that the back of the ship now, I mean, although it retains the sails, part of the sails actually kind of, you know... Um, start to build themselves off of the side of the ship. And there's a bunch of kind of weird cogs and things like that. There's a bit of a rocket, um, you know, booster kind of thing, and almost these weird flappy wings things. So it's like the, the ship actually starts to go out of the water, and it sails past. And, you know, with that, um, you have transformed the ship, but it still retains its essence as a ship as opposed to a spaceship. So that's kind of an intermediary, and you manage to kind of pull it forward. Um, And so you're actually uh, moving towards that direction, and that brilliant point, that sword, is almost within reach. Sorrel. The creature is there in front of you. It bellows its primeval challenge towards another creature of the sea. And you feel yourself flowing towards it and, you know, gathering with that menace. And it is coming towards you. And all you can feel is just the desire to Um, basically contest this creature of the sea. How dare it? How dare it enter your space, enter your domain? What do you do?
2: I attack it with the full force that I didn't use on Tycho
0: earlier. Oh, nice. Okay, so you kind of basically explode into your avatar form, and this massive serpent basically splashes into the water, and all of a sudden you wrap around Jorgamander the world, world serpent, and you can see these two worm-like, snake-like forms start to twist around and thrash around in the air, and they're kind of... And it's actually almost graceful, because it's happening... In a way, it's happening very slowly, yet it's also lightning fast, okay? And so you're kind of wrapped around each other and you're kind of locked in this titanic embrace. Tycho, the pain subsides and flashes and you're back on the ship. You can see your sister as a serpent, now completely wrapped around this other being. In front of you, within reach, if you so want to extend, is a silver blade. The blade, Gray Swan Deer, that rested at the center of the pattern. If you want to, you could reach it and grab it, or you could save your sister. What do you do?
5: I'm going to save my sister, I guess. How? <sighs> um, hey, you just told me that if I wanted to, I could say not kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm going to um um I'm going to run across her body, ooh, um, so that I can get up to the actual uh, world serpent. Yep, and punch it right in the. Cross.
0: <laughs> okay. So you basically, and like you run fast enough that you're actually running on water for a second. And just the nature, like, you know, with your avatar form, the wings and all that, it gives you enough buoyancy to walk on water and run across it. And wham, you're up your sister and you're over there and smack! You pound your fist into like the carapace of the world serpent and it rears out in pain. And I mean, that gives your sister a chance to squeeze even further. And it starts to kind of, you know, backpedal a little bit. It. Alain, you are sailing through the air. Right in front of you is the primal energy of this blade. Are you a swords person? Do you even know how to wield a blade?
1: Oh, yes, I've studied fencing. I mean, I'm not great like my other uh, relatives, but I don't know how to handle a blade.
0: This is the most beautiful, artistic, perfect piece of sword craftsmanship that you have ever seen. You have seen the Musashi Katana. You have seen master craftsmen back on Shadow Earth create these things. You have seen manufactured goods that are using precision steel and computer engineering to create a razor-thin blade. None of this even holds a candle to the performance perfection of this silver spear of light that is extended in your you know right before you like a light um, just out of your reach what do you do
1: I don't I just I just want my destiny I want reality I want to go even beyond this sword I just focus on all my tr- training that I've had and the the connection between reality and and uh, just appearance and I just I just want to break through so badly I want to sum up my whole life and throw it behind me and just grab what's real
0: okay so basically you don't want the sword you kind of fly back all right Sigrun you now see the sword kind of outstretched before you and the same thing you are a warrior you have trained with every weapon under the sun and this thing has a power that speaks to you in fact there is a sense that you can see that encased in the very design of the swords is that silver, argent, flame, wreathed around ebony, your colors. And it would be so simple for you to grasp onto this thing, to claim it as yours. And, but it is not your blade. It is not, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of it. And you know that if you were to take possession of it, it may forever change what you choose to use as a weapon. Do you take it?
6: See it as real and true? And not shadow?
0: You're not sure. It definitely feels true. In fact, your own weapon, with all the sorcery and enchantment seems to be pale compared to this. Yours is like a ghostly shadow where this is solid, metal, crafted, mastercrafted again and again. It's up to you.
6: Yes, I'm just recollecting what, uh, what Corwin said. He showed us the blade, and it seemed to be part of the deal that we struck with him. So it would seem to be logical that this would be a real sword.
0: I think you're hesitating and not making a decision. No,
6: no, she's, she's taking it.
0: you going to take it? Okay it's yours. The sword basically sings in your hand, in your blade, and it flashes forward. And, you know, you kind of raise it and you can see starlight and sunlight and all those things gleam off of the side. Cassandra, you see her grab onto this um, weapon, and you can see it almost concentrate like a star. There is, in the pommel of the blade, a ruby multifaceted jewel that you can kind of see that pulses with power and blood and energy. And, you know, in that moment, you can see the intricacy of a pattern, which is almost like three-dimensional within it. That which she holds, okay, has more power in it than anything that you have ever been exposed to. The Trump's even the pattern itself, like you don't understand it, but there's something even more solid in that blade. Do you let her take it?
6: Do I sense that she is
3: going...
0: Is she going to help?
3: No, is she going to knit for herself? Or is she going to use it to quarrel?
0: You would have to make psychic contact to, uh, to, to be able to determine. You think, now she's a warrior. You don't know what she's going to do with it.
6: Right.
3: Um how close am I to her and
0: You're at the same distance. You're at the you're at the front of the ship, they're all kind of moving off to the side, you're not kind of fighting in the water, you're not like Alain who is, you know, actually out of the ship itself. You could reach over and you could touch her.
3: Can I like reach over and that is the
0: blade? You're trying to you're trying to grab the blade?
3: No, I want to touch her hand that is the blade
0: okay, so you make contact uh, with her hand,
3: and then I want you, psyche, get an idea of what she is.
0: Okay, again, Sigrid, Cassandra has put that tendril of psychic energy, and her mind is now burrowing into yours. You have the blade clasped within your hand, and she is going to, you know, like. She's probably gonna take it from you. What do you want to do?
6: I wanna um I wanna stop her. Uh I wanna How? I will do yeah, I'm just debating about throwing her off or I'll say thir and I'll um uh invoke the sorceress disrupt room. Uh, and uh, and I'll say if you want to know something
0: ask me okay so this, this pulse of energy kind of travels up and Cassandra just basically brushes it away Astrid what do you do the sword is now within the warrior's hand um, basically sorrow has pulled the world serpent towards where the boat is now actually flying and they're very very close um, you could move away from it you know to try and continue to escape or you could direct the boat or your ship or whatever closer to maybe somebody could attack the world serpent and maybe, you know, uh, put an end to it. It's really up to you. What do you want to do?
4: Yeah, I'm beginning to feel like this serpent is a problem. So I will do a hard uh, turn with the boat. Okay. And uh, aim its cannons at the serpent.
0: Very nice. Okay. So you do that. And I mean, your personality kind of anticipate and all of a sudden fire and... (laughs) Like this volley of broadsides of cannon just kind of fire out towards the, the World Serpent and it smacks into it. And then Sorrel, that gives you the opportunity to tighten even more. And another one kind of hits. Um, Sorrel, it's weakening. It's starting to fall beneath the waves. You have dominance in your position over the World Serpent now. What do you wish to do? I would like to bite it. <laughs> Okay, and then your 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 teeth sink into its exposed uh, side, and blood kind of spurts all over it. It starts thrashing about as the ship is kind of sailing around the side, and you clamp your, your jaws even tighter against it. It is struggling either further further. Tycho, you're on top of your sister. You've just punched the thing. It is starting to thrash about. What do you do?
5: Um, if it, is it trying to attack her at all?
0: Uh, right now it's sort of on the defensive, it's being hit by cannon, it's being bitten on the side, so it's not really in a position where it's able to kind of attack back. You have that opening, you have that vulnerability right now. What do you do?
5: All right, so I jump forward and, again, I'm going to just, like, pummel it with my, um, my canapest-covered fists. Um okay like, you know basically in the face
0: okay <laughs> so i mean you smash past of it and like your fist actually penetrates into the cornea of the eye and like you know your jagged um 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 you know horned uh armor kind of penetrates deep into it and like you can feel veins and everything within the eye you could just reach in and rip it out what do you want to do okay. I'll do that. Okay. And then like you grab onto some sort of like nerve bundle or something like that and you pull on it, it tenses, it tenses and then it snaps and this huge kind of eyeball just kind of comes out and you're grasping it and like this flood of, of, of liquid and water just kind of, you know, spews everywhere and like, a- It screams out in, like, you know, uh, never-ending pain. Alain, you are flying at the front of the ship. You continue to move in the direction, almost kind of sailing in that direction, too, but the ship is beginning to to, to turn, and you are still maintaining your movement forward. What do you want to do? Are you going to try to stay with the ship, or are you just going to continue moving in the direction that you're going? I'm just going to kneel
1: in the Matrix and just fly. Fly forward. Okay. Fly faster and faster.
0: All right. So it's almost like you tuck your hands onto your side and you kind of dive forward and your momentum just carries you forward even as the ship curves off port side and now is moving on a completely different direction. All right. Sigrin, in your hand is the blade. You... Have control over it for this small moment as you, w- you basically scream those words into Cassandra, who again is violating your mind. There are a couple things that you could do. You could attempt to attack her physically, but you realize you're going to have to contend with her psyche. You could drop the blade altogether and basically kind of capitulate, or you could try to wrest it away and attack the snake. What do you do?
6: I will rest it away and attack the snake.
0: Okay, Cassandra, you see that she has control over the physical blade, and she intends to use it on the snake itself. She shifted away her aggression and her warrior's intent away from you, and it is now focused um, at the world serpent on the port side. Do you allow her to break away from your control? Yes, I allow her to break away from Okay, so Sigrin, you begin running off to the side as the ship is coming over. Astrid, do you continue to maintain the course so that you would allow Sigrin to kind of leap off and basically you know, attack the snake, or do you want to kind of move it in a different direction?
4: Nope, keep going and keep firing cannon.
0: Okay, that's perfect. Pow, pow, pow. And they all kind of smash into you know, the face and the side. Tycho, you kind of drive your things in deeper. Sorrel, you squeeze even further. Um, and, and then um, Sigrun, you land on top of the head. The, gra- the brain uh, carapace is exposed and you have this one instant and you could plunge the blade, b- blade into its brain and basically end, is, and end its existence. What do you do?
6: Flip the sword. Uh, so that it's pointing down. I grab the hilt with both hands, and I just plunge it straight
0: through. Okay, and with that, there's an explosion of star-like energy, like a supernova of brilliance and fire that explodes outwards, and you feel the world serpent begin to shake and actually tremble and start to kind of die on you, and then all of you stand bloodied, tired, exhausted at the center of the pattern in front of you, clutched in your hand, Sigrid, is grace one dear. This katana, this sword of ultimate creation of perfection and all that is there. And you stand all at the center of the pattern. And you know from this point, you could go wherever you want. You can teleport yourself to the place that you desire to go. But I will say this. The one person who is not there is Ale. He is nowhere (laughs) to be seen. And with that, we will end our session. And scene. Okay. That wraps up our first attempt at running Amber Diceless. Personally, I thought it was a blast, and I just want to give all of the players kudos here, in part because of how readily and enthusiastically you adapted to a very different style of role-playing game, and also for really embracing your character concepts and the feel of the game. You really helped capture the spirit behind the books, especially the competitive family uh, dynamics, and as a GM, that just couldn't make me any happier. To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed our first pass at this and hope that you'll join us on any future stories that we will collectively tell in Amber.